there are certain names that just have an adjective attached to it when you hear the name. For instance, Joe. I've been called Big Joe by people who've never even met me. Al, Big Al. Those are the kind of names where you get big put in front of them, no matter how big or small you are. Now, if your name is Ray, especially if your name is Ray and you throw hands, you're going to be called Sugar Ray. There's Sugar Ray Robinson, Sugar Ray Leonard, and my guest today, Sugar Ray Schultz. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. And welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So this is episode 45, 45 wonderful, wonderful episodes. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome aboard. I'm so happy that you joined me here, and uh, I hope that you enjoy this episode. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And uh, if you have a certain standard for my episodes, I hope this episode reaches that standard. Uh, I don't know how high that standard could be, though, but I digress. Anyway, thank you for tuning in, whether you're a first-timer or a returning listener, whether you've heard all my episodes or none. I am just so happy that you've chosen to spend a few hours with me here in the penalty box. So before I begin, I'd like to ask you a few things. First, if you are listening and it is your first time or you're a returning listener, could you please subscribe to the show? Could you please like the show, rate the show, and review the show? All of that stuff helps in the particular algorithms on the platform you're listening to. Don't ask me how. I have no idea. But apparently they do help. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not looking to take over the podcast world. Lord, Lord knows uh, that is way out of my reach. I'm just looking to have some fun here and uh, provide some entertainment. But if the show grows a little bit, that's not a bad thing either. So, again, please... Whatever platform you're listening to, if you could subscribe to the show, you could like it, rate it, and review it. That would be great, and it would help me out. Also, the show's release on Monday uh, to the general public. But if you subscribe, you will get the episodes on Sunday. And, you know, now that football is almost over, you have a couple of more weeks of football, um, you might need other things to do on Sundays. So subscribe to my podcast. If you subscribe, like I said, you don't have to wait until Monday to get the show. Subscribers get the show early. I don't know why that is. I'm happy that it's that way, though, and I'm happy for everyone that has subscribed so far. So please add your name to that illustrious list of subscribers to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. 
also social media there's so much crap on social media uh especially with uh, everything that's going on in politics all that other nonsense you know what i'm talking about and you know you have those friends 2016ers that i call them they never cared about anything in terms of politics you don't need that crap in your life go to twitter uh, search for Joe underscore Lozito and at Kali Sinbin pod. That's my personal Twitter. That is the Twitter account for the podcast. Really nothing too serious on either one of those accounts. It's just uh, the Kali Sinbin pod account. That's all Islander enforcer stuff all the time. Birthdays, photos, stats. Uh, I've been doing the top 10 fighting major uh, leaders in Bridgeport Sound Tigers history this past week. Um, do a lot of, like I said, Islander Enforcer birthdays, uh, photos, really just stuff that has to do with Islanders and Islanders Enforcers and, all, and of course, their affiliates. Um, and they at Joe Lazito, uh, my personal one, again, nothing too serious, mostly sports on there. Uh, every now and then I take shots at a certain uh, police officer who's a coward and a chicken shit. Uh, but those are few and far between. But every now and then I just want the uh, NYPD account to know that I haven't forgotten about them. But again, nothing too serious on uh, either one of those accounts. And uh, like I always say, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. So again, that is something very similar to the Kali Sinbin pod Twitter account. You'll find the same stuff on there. And um, again, you have Facebook. You see the crap that's on there. Although lately with the Bernie Sanders stuff, I got to admit that stuff is pretty fucking funny. There are a few things that I will always find funny um, as far as stuff like that goes. Uh, Crying Jordan will always make me laugh no matter what. That will never get old to me. Um, the meme with the two ladies screaming and the cat, again, always, always, that will always make me laugh. And uh, so far, although it's only been a few days, the Bernie Sanders stuff to me is just classic. So, um, But you know outside of that stuff, you got the same crap that you find on Twitter with your friends who are now political and disease experts, experts and that kind of crap. So if you need a little levity in your life, go to facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. If you're listening to the show, you probably are going to like the content that's on my social media. Another social media platform, Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Again, same stuff, enforcer stuff. Uh, like I said, the top 10 fighting major leaders in Bridgeport Sound Tigers history is the most recent stuff. Birthdays, fight picks, nothing too serious. And as always, like I said for Twitter, if you follow me, I'm going to follow you back. Let's help uh, build each other's um, social media platforms, social media, um, whatever you want to call them, accounts. There's a word I'm looking for. I can't think of it right now. I'm old, I guess. But, uh, you know, but let's let's help build each other's stuff up. I'm not going to be the guy that asks you to follow me and have 10,000 followers, and I'm only following six people back. To me, that's total horseshit. But I digress. I've said that a bunch of times already, and I think I've said digress twice. Now it would be three times, so I'm going to try not to say that again for the rest of the intro. If you are searching for hoodies or T-shirts or leggings or socks or totes or flags or phone cases or masks, go to teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. Or scroll to the bottom of the description of this episode and you will see a link that will bring you directly to the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box Merchandise Store. There's a ton of stuff on there. There's something for everybody. Men, women, kids, babies, it's all there. 
You know you want to wear it. I mean, the logo is amazing. I'm mediocre. I'm very mediocre, but the logo is fantastic. You know you want the stuff. Just go get it. Now, listener exclusive. As a listener to the show, you are uh, given a discount code every episode. That is good for a week that I do not publish online. It's my way of saying thank you for listening. Thank you for ordering. Um, first of all, I can't believe that anyone listens. Second of all, I can't believe anyone wants to order my merchandise. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But the listener discount for this week for 20% off, use code PRIOR. As in, no, you know what? Code SARGE. S-A-R-G-E. So as I said on my social media platforms, uh, I post Islander birthdays. Today was Chris Pryor's birthday and also Chris Bruton, former uh, Bridgeport Sound Tiger. Uh, Chris Pryor was a, a former Islander, former Springfield Indian, former Capital District Islander. Um, so we're going to use his nickname, Sarge, as the discount code for this week. So go to the Coliseum Chronicles merchandise store again. Don't worry about the address I gave you. I'm going to read it every episode, but just scroll down, hit that link and bring you right to the store and enter code Sarge. Sarge will get you 20% off for a week and uh, happy birthday to Chris Pryor and Chris Bruton. And actually tomorrow, which would be Sunday, is former guest Mike Dalhusen's birthday. So happy birthday to Mike as well. When you go to that merchandise site, and I've already mentioned the logo, that logo was drawn up by famous Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe is available for hire. He does amazing work, not just tunes. He's been posting some stuff on his social media lately. Really, really fantastic stuff that would look great in any living room, any working room, any den, any bedroom. Reach Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker, or you can go to his website. That's not his website. I mean, it could be his company, actually. I never really looked into it. LoudEgg.com. I don't know if that's Joe's company. But Joe is affiliated with them. I should probably ask him. But again, go to loudegg.com. You can reach Joe there. Go to Graphics Joker on Twitter. You can reach Joe there. He's an amazing artist. He's an incredible talent. He's available for hire. He can help you out 100%. Now, a few other podcasts I would like to point out to you. The Fourth Line Voice podcast, my friend Darren at Saskatoon. Darren just had on... Uh, Steve, he runs the uh, social media accounts when Probert was king. And I guess the best way to say his Twitter handle is Shrem. It's like S-R-E-H-M. I think that's it, Shrem. Uh, he's out there. Just search for when Probert is king. Um, he does some really, really amazing writing. Uh, he did a top 25 all-time enforcer thing. And he just doesn't do a list. I mean, he goes deep, really deep. Uh, into backgrounds. He posts videos to support his uh, countdowns. And he recently did a breakdown of Jay Miller's uh, rookie season. And Darren had him on the show. And it was uh, it was really a fun listen, especially for old school guys like myself who missed the old days. And um, it's funny, Darren had Darren had said that he wasn't really a big Jay Miller fan growing up. And I, I Jay Miller to me was someone that I wasn't a fan of, but it, I didn't hate. He was just a guy that the Bruins had. So I didn't love him. I didn't hate him. I appreciated him because he was fighting, 
but he wasn't a guy that I felt strongly about either way. But like Darren said, I miss him now and I appreciated him always, but it's good because Jay Miller to me symbolizes what the Bruins are all about with, well, what the Bruins were all about. Really tough guy. Never took a backward step. Uh, tough him and Lyndon Byers together were a terrific tag team. And um, I definitely would encourage you to go to the fourth line voice podcast, check out the episode with Steve, uh, check out all of Darren's past episodes too. He's had some amazing guests on there and uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, go down the fourth line voice rabbit hole, plenty of stuff there to listen to for sure. So check that out. And when you're done with that, go to YouTube and look for fourth line voice on YouTube. If you have watched a fight, a hockey fight on YouTube in the past, chances are it was on the fourth line voice channel. There's a few guys on there that the uh, they post a lot of fights. I know when I'm searching for fights, it's generally, I think, four accounts that I, I usually end up on. Uh, it's usually Darren's, uh, but there are a few other ones. But Darren is, if he's not the top guy on there for hockey fight videos, he's certainly, uh, he's certainly at the big boy table. So definitely check out um, his account. You can do search. You can search by player, search by team, search by league. Uh, he's very thorough, you know. Uh, he, he's pretty good at that stuff. So definitely something I wouldn't have the patience to do. But uh, it's definitely worth your while to check out both his show and his um, his fa Facebook, his YouTube channel. That's what I meant to say. But speaking of Facebook, Alec Golan-Salen, he is the czar of the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. He's also the host of the Five for Fighting podcast. Alex has been taking a bit of a break lately, uh, real busy. Uh, I don't know if he was buying a house or moving. Uh, he got married again. Alec, congratulations. I'm very happy. Uh, I'm wondering at this point how many times when you've seen relatives after the wedding, uh, did they say, when are we going to have kids? Well, not we, you guys. When are you going to have kids? Because that's usually the next question up once you get married. How soon for kids? When... Uh, you know, parents ask, when am I going to have grandchildren? So if it hasn't happened yet, it will. But I'm really happy for you guys. Uh, I'm very old school, not just with my sports, but also in life. And I'm a big proponent of marriage. I'm a big proponent of having kids and, and uh, families. And uh, I, I just, uh, it makes me really happy that, uh, that you got married. And I'm really happy for you guys. And I wish you nothing but the best. So Alex been taking a break for a little bit from the show. His last episode that's available was with Frank Littlejohn. That was an excellent episode. So while Alec is taking his break, maybe uh, go back and listen to some of his episodes also. It's a good time to catch up uh, waiting for his next episode to come out. I know that uh, Darren said that he knows that Alec has done an interview, so I guess it's just a matter of time before his next episode comes out. I, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't want to know. I like to be surprised. But uh, check out his catalog of episodes as well. Check out the Enforcer Appreciation page. And also, I know there's been a few more posts on this other page lately, which makes me very happy. The QSPHL slash LNAH jersey and equipment page on Facebook. Um, that league, I didn't really appreciate when it was going on. I'll be honest with you. Um, it's something that I wish I would have. I think there was just so much hockey at the time. And... Um, a lot of the DVDs that I had with the old Quebec League, they didn't have lists and everything's in French or there's no commentary at all. And I didn't really know who I was watching. Uh, yeah, you you know a few of the guys, obviously, but maybe uh, three or four out of ten guys were, were uh, guys that I knew uh, because I didn't have a list. So a lot of times I had a bunch of DVDs. I never really got into them because I didn't know who they were. 
And uh, I guess with the way the game is now, uh, I just had uh, my good friend John Searson. He sent me a bunch of uh, Quebec League stuff. So um, this guy here from Long Island and uh, got some old Quebec League footage from a guy in England. So uh, it's good to see the old fight network uh, still in play and that uh, the love of fighting is something that's definitely worldwide. But yeah, I mean, the um, the Quebec League is definitely something that uh, I didn't appreciate at the time. I was watching some uh, Joel Terrio footage uh, yesterday. Uh, Joel's probably, he'd probably be my favorite guy that uh, had an extended career up there. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show once before that him and I watched the game together in Springfield. Uh, well, not a whole game, maybe a period. Uh, Joel, myself, and Gordy Dwyer when they were both with the, the Quebec Citadels. And Joel was awesome. What a great guy. I'd love to reconnect with him. And um so Joel is a guy that uh, that I definitely enjoy, and he's probably the guy that I focus on most in that league. So uh, I was watching some of his stuff recently, and uh, like I said, John sent me a bunch of discs uh, from other teams, like Sir, whatever team Sergio Berger was on. I think uh, I think he sent me some of that stuff, and he sent me some Laval Chief stuff. So, um, well, and and actually, I started talking about this because I was talking about Alex. Uh, Facebook page. It's so easy for me to get lost and go on tangents, but uh, definitely check out the LNAH slash QSPHL jersey and equipment page on Facebook. It's a lot of fun. So just a few other things before we get to the Ray Schultz interview. Um, as I mentioned in the last episode, I, I uh, did come down with COVID. Uh, my wife did and one of my sons did. How my other son didn't come down with it, I have no idea. Uh, like I said in the episode, I think he has adamantium in his veins. He just really never gets sick. And actually, my youngest son really doesn't get too sick either. So we're really lucky with that. And even with him having COVID, he really only had symptoms for a couple of days. Uh, my wife had it the worst. I had it somewhere in the middle. Uh, we're all definitely uh, back to almost 100%. If I had to put a number on it, we're probably between 95 and 100%. Uh, but we're all doing a lot better. I really appreciate everybody who reached out in message or text and um, checked in on us to see how we were doing. But uh, but we're doing better. Thanks to everybody who asked. Um, another thing I mentioned is that we are uh, with everything going on here in New York and the COVID situation and my job situation and uh, things not getting any cheaper here that there is a, a better than good chance that uh, at some point in the summer, we could very well be moving and uh, we've targeted Florida. The cost of living is uh, it's a little bit less than here in New York. Actually, probably we could have targeted 90% of the country, 95% of the country and the cost of living would be a lot less. Uh, so uh, if we do that, I would be interested in uh, gaining employment down in Florida. So I know I have people that listen to the show from all over the world. I know shout out to Norway, by the way, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Uh, I always seem to chart in Norway. Uh, it seems very consistent that I chart in Norway, even more so than the States and in Canada. So shout out to whoever's listening there in Norway, you guys rock. Um, but yeah, so we could end up in Florida. So, um, I don't, we don't have a destination yet. We've sort of narrowed our, uh, search down. We would like to live between Tampa and Fort Myers. And a lot of that will be determined when my son decides where he would go to school. So, uh, but that would be our, our North to South, uh, Tampa to Fort Myers. So if I have any friends out there that are listening in that air, in those areas, anywhere in between that may have a lead on some sort of employment, 
look, I'm 50 years old. I've been around the block a few times. And uh, if you have too, you know, a lot of people get jobs. It's not what they know. It's who they know. And, uh, you know, anyone that would vouch for me with a potential employer, I definitely would not let you down. So, um, again, it's not a definite. It's uh, if, if there's a way to stay here in New York, then uh, that could possibly happen, too. But right now, um, it's not looking great for my industry. So uh, so there is a very good chance that we could end up down in Florida. So if I have any friends out there that are down in that area or know people in that area, say between the Tampa and Fort Myers uh, region, that you know someone that might be looking for help. I, I think I'm a very good worker. I think I'm very loyal. And uh, I don't think I will disappoint anyone that takes a chance on me. So uh, just reach out to me and let me know. I would really appreciate it. So a few sports things before I uh, before we move on to Sugar Ray Schultz. Um, good luck to my Buffalo Bills. I say my Buffalo Bills. I don't own the team. But my Bills, the team that I love, the team that I've loved for years, uh, and actually former guest Kevin Devine, he's a Bills fan too. Uh, they are playing in the AFC Championship game tomorrow. Uh, so I am very excited for that. And, um, listen, I'm not one of those people. I, I, I think you play the season. I, I go into every game thinking they're going to win. So I'm not worried about this game. I mean, obviously, listen, Kansas city is one of the top teams in the league, but, um, I just, man, oh man, this has been such an amazing season. I am gung-ho Buffalo Bills. I can't wait for this game tomorrow. And uh, hopefully they take down Kansas City tomorrow. And then I don't really give a shit who they play in the Super Bowl. I have, I don't care. I actually like Tampa better than Green Bay as an organization, as a team. The only thing I have against Tampa, of course, is their quarterback and their tight end. But any other season... I'd be rooting hard for Tampa against Green Bay. I just find uh, Brady and Gronkowski so unlikable. And actually, I think Aaron Rodgers is pretty unlikable too. But uh, I would, if they didn't have Brady and Gronkowski, I would definitely be rooting for Tampa. But as I said, if the Bills win tomorrow, I don't give a rat's ass who they play in the Super Bowl. I really don't care. Uh, go Bills, and uh, best of luck to the boys up there. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of people here on Long Island rooting for you as well. Um, sad news yesterday, word came down that the greatest baseball player of all time, Mr. Henry Aaron passed away. Um, the all time home run King, you could say what you want about the other guy who uh, enhanced himself to, um, allegedly take over the record. Uh, I know a lot of people do not acknowledge that person. I certainly don't. Um, Henry Aaron to me is the greatest ball player that ever lived and, uh, the world lost a uh, a great human being as far as i'm concerned and like i said the all-time home run king and the greatest of all time i will say howard bryant wrote a book about henry aaron i don't know 10 years ago uh arguably one of the best books i've ever read not just sports books books in general um and i god i posted it on twitter yesterday i don't remember the title but if you search for howard bryant and henry aaron book it'll come up it's a black and white picture of, uh, of Henry. I think he had a Milwaukee Braves cap on. And if you want to know the definition of a warrior, read that book and see what, uh, what Henry Aaron had to go through, uh, in his life. And then especially as he was coming close to breaking Babe Ruth's record, um, really, really disgusting things and, uh, real life stuff, you know, real, real hard stuff. You know, uh, the times were so different back then. And, um, you know, he handled it with such class, absolute warrior, Henry Aaron, rest in peace. And, um, you know, like I said, the world lost a great man the other day and, uh, you know, condolences 
to uh to Mr. Aaron's family. Not that they listen, but you know, just that's what you say, right? Yeah, I guess. Uh so uh Islander stuff. So the season started, the team looks very good. They're three and one right now. They play uh New Jersey again tomorrow. Uh they had a really good game the other day against New Jersey. Uh the only hiccup so far this year was the second game, which was which was the second game of the year against the Rangers. And that game was just a mess right from warm up when uh Clutterbuck hit um Varlamov in the throat with the puck uh and Sorokin was pressed into duty. Um the game was a just an abortion. Uh, just a horrible, horrible showing from every single guy on the Islanders. It was it was one of the worst games I've seen a team play. Uh, and when I say a team, I'm going to say Islanders. I haven't watched really a lot of other hockey in years, but are, I mean, just one of the worst games I've seen a team play in a long time. Um, I think the immediate knee-jerk reaction from Isles Twitter and uh, hockey Twitter in general was uh, to bash Sorokin. Uh, I have been someone that has said he's got to show me something. I, I've said that from the beginning. I think the Islanders had a pretty good thing going with uh, Leonard and Grice. And uh, they get Varlamov. They let Leonard go because they figure. Uh, I mean, listen, Varlamov's a good goalie too. I'm not, it's not that they got some uh, bargain basement guy, but uh, signing Varlamov is is uh, was key to getting Sorokin over here. So you take a chance with that because you had Leonard and Grice who were fantastic together. So um, I know Sorokin had done everything you could possibly do in the Russian league there, but it's a big difference between over there and over here. So I have been someone that has said, I want to see what this kid can do from the minute he said he was coming over. So I am still in that way, but uh, no, in no way, shape, or form was that game his fault. The game was nobody's fault. They sucked. They sucked shit. And I think the bad thing with Twitter is it's a young man's thing. And uh, everybody, I think people think they're going to get famous on Twitter. Uh, how many people do you read their stuff and in their bio uh, I think Darren actually spoke about this once. They call themselves scouts or analysts or something for nobody. So does that mean I'm an analyst because I have my own podcast? It's just ridiculous. If you're a scout, then you should appear on a team's page. You don't have to be an NHL scout. You can scout for a junior team. But you have to be. You have to work for a team. So you're a scout. If you don't work for a team or an organization that pays you to be a scout, you're not a scout. You're a fan. And if you don't work for a network or a company that pays you to talk about, in this case, hockey, then you're not an analyst. You're me. You're a fan. I have a headset and a laptop. It doesn't make me an, an analyst by any stretch of the imagination, which is why I don't have analyst in my bio, nor do I have scout in my bio. I'm a fan. I'm a fan with a microphone. Nothing more than that. But IELTS Twitter, of course. That second game was all over Sorokin. And do you know who else they were all over? You've heard me mention this before. It's the low-hanging fruit, Ross Johnston. Of course, of course, the whole team sucked. The best player on the team, Matt Barzal, sucked more than anybody as far as I'm concerned. And this after that first game where he played amazing. He shot the puck. He was flying out there. The whole team sucked in game two. But Isles Twitter and Hockey Twitter, who are they going to go after? Of course, Ross Johnston. We got to get Ross Johnston out of there. We need Pajot to play with this guy. We need Pajot to play with that guy. Ross Johnston is holding him back. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. 
if you really want to be a hockey analyst, give me something I can use. Give me something different. Don't go after the guy you always go after, Ross Johnston. Oh, he fights. He's mean. He can't do anything else. So let me tell you again for the millionth time, and please listen, and I'll say it again for the people in the back. Isn't that what the kids say now? This is the year 2021. There is not a single player playing any level of professional hockey that is there because they can only fight. I know that shatters your myth about guys like Ross Johnston, but get it through your heads. If Ross Johnston could not play hockey, he would not be in the NHL. He may not be in the AHL. But here's the fact, folks. Get this. And yes, while I am not an analyst and while I am not a scout, I do know people in the organization. And I do talk to people in the organization. Okay? The Islander organization loves Ross Johnston. They love his work ethic. They love the improvement that he has, the strides he's made from when they first brought him in till today have been immense. But you don't see that because you want to typecast him into, oh, he's just a goon, he's just a fighter, he can't do anything else. No. So the people signing his checks and the people that he answers to love him. So I'm sorry to burst your bubble, okay, for all you knuckleheads that think Ross Johnston doesn't do anything but fight. No, that's not true. Go back and watch tape of him from two years ago, three years ago, and see the improvement that he's made in his skating. See the improvement that he's made in his stick handling. See the improvement in his overall game. You hate Tom Wilson, don't you? I hate Tom Wilson. Do you know why we hate Tom Wilson? Because he does a lot of things. And he's not just a guy who fights. And he's not just a guy who hits people dirty. He can do a lot of things. Okay, you hate Tom Wilson because he takes a regular shift and he makes things happen out there. I used to like Tom Wilson before the Visnovsky stuff. I was one of his biggest supporters. 100%. I don't like the guy, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's not effective. He's absolutely great at what he does. It kills me to say it because I can't stand him because I think it was Bush League when he ran from uh, Bolton and he doesn't want to fight Johnston, but he'll fight Anders Lee every time. I think that's Bush League and I, I think it's a bit cowardly, but I can't deny the fact that Tom Wilson is effective at what he does. He earns his money every night and every team's fans in the league hate Tom Wilson. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a guy like that? Now, I don't think... Ross Johnston can has that edge that Wilson has in the sense where I think the way Wilson plays, I think you have to be a bit of an asshole. And I don't know if Johnston can do that. I think Johnston's an honorable guy. I think he's a classy guy. I think he'll pound you into the ice. I think he'll crush it through the boards. I don't think he's a dirty player. I think Tom Wilson at times, he goes over the line. He's dirty. I don't see Ross Johnston playing a dirty game. What I do see is Ross Johnston being able to take a regular shift. What I do see is Ross Johnston, if he does get a regular shift, scoring five to 10 goals in a season. I definitely see that. And I definitely don't see Ross Johnston as a liability. So to all the people out there who hate this guy, or not not hate him, I hate that that think that the, at the slightest hint of trouble that the guy who has to be benched is Ross Johnston, give your head a shake because there are plenty of other guys who have shitty games, but because you can't 
really wrap your head around it because they don't fight. You're stumped for what is my reasoning? Because with, like I said, Ross Johnson, low hanging fruit. Well, all he does is fight. He's just a fighter. So I say we should take him out. And by the way, let me ask you this. Ross Johnston plays on the third line, okay? If you're an Islanders fan, you know that one of the things this team is not known for is offense. They are a defensive-minded team. They play a defensive system. So when you have guys on the first line who aren't putting up gaudy numbers, you think guys on the third line are going to put up those gaudy numbers? Of course not. Third liners have different responsibilities. Now, I love J.G. Pajot as much as everybody. I'd love to see him get time on the first line or the second line, no question. I'd love to see him out there with different guys at various times. I think he's that versatile. I think he has so many dimensions to his game. I think it was an absolute steal that they got this guy. But I don't blame his line mates. I don't blame Bellows, and I don't blame Johnston for anything that he's not doing out there. Pajot can do everything. The guy is that versatile. And like I said, put him with other guys. I don't care. You know, mix up the lines a little bit, okay? But Ross Johnston can play hockey. Get it through your head. He can play hockey. And if he's given the chance, he's going to be a guy that's going to take a regular shift like a Tom Wilson, like a Reeves on Vegas. And he's going to be a difference maker in the games. So I guess my original point was if you sit Ross Johnston, see, that's what happens when you get old. You have like a a little bit of a delay. If you sit Ross Johnston, who are you going to put on that third line that's going to all of a sudden light up the scoreboard? For a team that plays a defensive system that is defense first, do you think they're going to put a guy who's going to be on that line, Mike Bossy? That you're going to put someone out there that's going to light it up? They're a defensive minded team. So, what do you think is going to happen if you put someone out there different than Ross Johnson? Look, I want to see Wallstrom play too. I want to see all these young kids play. But I'm not naive enough to think that if we put someone else on that third line, that all of a sudden, The offensive production is going to go up so immensely that I know more than Barry Trotz and I know more than Lou Lamarillo. So I guess in closing, what I would like to say is this. I know what it's like to have strong feelings about certain things. And I know it's so easy to type out that tweet and hit send. But think about it. Next time you're watching the game, think about this. If they shit the bed. Before you hit send on that tweet where you want to send Ross Johnston to the bench, I want you to think about the game that he had, and I want you to think about who else had a shitty game. And I'm not even saying Ross had a bad game, because most of the time he does not have bad games, but you still want to take him out because you're hockey experts. But who had a bad game? Take him out. Nobody ever says to bench Barzal. Listen, you don't bench your best player, maybe for a period here or there. But he's had shitty games. And when Barzal is a shitty game, you notice it. Okay? But the guy's a stud. I don't want to bench Barzal. Like I said, maybe a period here or there. But by you saying they need to make a change, well, who do you change? Well, let's put in Wallstrom for Johnston or let's put in this guy for Johnston. You're not reinventing the wheel. You're taking a dimension out and you think you're putting in Mike Bossy and you're not. Okay? Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo, they believe in defense. They believe in a team game. They believe in rolling four lines. If you're an Islanders fan, how do you not know that by now? How do you not know that by now? And then if the shit hits the fan, you have someone there that can take care of business. Yes, you have Matt Martin there, but you don't want Matt Martin doing all that stuff. He's older now, 
and you don't need him doing all that stuff. And if you ask Matt Martin, he'll drop the gloves with anybody. But it's nice to have the big guy behind him to take care of the heavy lifting. It's just as simple as that. Now, obviously, in the game, the way the game is now, that doesn't happen too often. But it's nice to have a guy like that. And you know what? Everybody's saying, bench Ross Johnston, bench Ross Johnston. You all want him in there. All you fuckers who want to put him on the bench, you all want him in there when they play Washington, don't you? He's not a fucking piece of meat. He's not a robot. He's not a fucking missile that you keep your finger on the trigger and then you push the button to let him out. He's a fucking hockey player. So when they play Washington and you want him in there because you don't want Tom Wilson running around, well, you know what? Barry treats him like a hockey player first, and he plays. And they've had four games so far, and he's played four games. And that's exactly how Ross Johnston should be played. Okay? Sorry to burst your bubble. I know you're an expert. I know you're a scout. But, you know, like I said, come come at come at it with something different. Be the analyst that you are. Be the scout that you are, and in case you couldn't see it, which of course you couldn't, I used air quotes. Come up with something different than taking Ross Johnston out of the lineup. You're not impressing anybody. You're parroting every other schmuck on Twitter, on Facebook, who has their head up their ass. So that is my little uh, diatribe for today. Uh, I know I, I was just thinking to myself, I sound kind of angry. I'm not, I'm not angry at all. I'm doing this with a smile on my face. It is just very frustrating seeing that after every fucking Islanders game, especially after losses. So, um, just use your head. You think you're all that in a bag of chips. So use your head and show me, show everybody that you're not a one trick pony, that you don't want to take out Ross Johnson after every game, take someone else out. Show me something, show me a different line combo, show me a different uh, defense pairing. You know, everything you're a scout for Christ's sake. You're an analyst. I'm sure the networks are banging down the door for your analysis. So show me something besides I want to take out Ross Johnson. All he does is fight. So anyway, I am now 36 minutes in to this intro. And you have come here today to listen to the career, listen about the career of Sugar Ray Schultz, former Islanders defenseman, had a wonderful career, Calder Cup champion, uh, just an all-around great guy, really soft-spoken, quiet guy. I've known Ray. I met Ray, obviously, when he was here with the Islanders. Um, and I think the last time I had spoken to Ray was when he was with the Admirals, uh, when he signed with Nashville and he played in Milwaukee. Um, I was actually... Uh, I covered for a friend of mine, you know, when you watch the games and you see that red light go on in the penalty box that for when the uh, TV goes to commercial. So uh, a friend of mine used to do that all the time in Philadelphia. He had a prior engagement. So he actually set me up with, uh, I guess it was Comcast. They were broadcasting the Phantoms and the Admirals and uh, they call it Red Cap. So um, they needed uh, someone and he gave them my name and I was a Red Cap for a game. And it's pretty nerve wracking when the guys on the headset are telling you to not, you know, the refs are waiting. The officials are waiting for you to turn that light off so they can drop the puck. And I'll never forget. There was one time where it was extended. It was extended. And I'm on the headset going, uh, everyone's looking at me. Everyone's looking at me and they're like, hold on, hold on. And I'm like, guys, the officials are looking, the refs are looking at me. Everyone's looking at me, hold on, hold on. And then they go, okay, turn it off. So it actually felt like about an hour. It was probably 30 to 45 seconds, but it was really nerve wracking. But that, I believe, was the last time I had uh, had spoken to Ray Schultz in person. So uh, fortunately, I was able to track him down on the internet, and uh, he was a wonderful guest. And I hope you enjoy it. So um, that's enough of me. 
Uh, if you liked my rant, let me know. If you think I'm an asshole, you could let me know that too. But uh, I have very strong feelings about this. And ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my chat with Sugar Ray Schultz. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I am your host, Joe Lizito. Uh, I know it's been a few weeks since we last spoke. Uh, took a break with the Christmas holidays and had to recover from COVID, but uh, back, ready to go. And I have a very special guest today, uh, someone that uh, I met a very long time ago, and I realized I probably hadn't spoken to in over 15 years. And uh, I thank him for coming on today, and I thank him for his patience as it took us about a half hour to get uh, get started here, but uh, I am proud to present to you Sugar Ray Schultz. Ray, how's it going? Oh, it's doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. So uh, my first question to all my guests is the, uh, is the same question. So um, you were born in Red Deer, but basically grew up in Edmonton. If I had a time machine and went back and I saw a young Ray Schultz on the ponds in Edmonton skating around with his buddies, who were you? And by that, I mean, if you saw me playing street hockey in Queens or on Long Island back in the day, I was always Bob Nystrom. I was Clark Gillies. Uh, who was a young Ray Schultz as a kid? Oh, geez. I, you know, it's crazy. Like we, uh, we didn't watch a lot of hockey growing up. We were out there playing on uh, the outdoor rinks and in the the back driveway. But, uh, you know, gee, I want to say I maybe got to two games as a kid or something like that. We kind of grew up watching the Oilers. Um, and then, you know, Wayne Gretzky was, was obviously the favorite uh, just because that was their dynasty time. But we didn't really uh, didn't really say who we were. I remember okay. my brother was a goalie. He'd always say he was a grand fear, but <laughs> I think I was just trying to fit in with my older brothers. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. So um, we're going to jump ahead now to 93-94, uh, and, and according to uh, the stats that I was able to, um, to procure, uh, I see that you played for three teams, if this is correct. Um, I have you starting out with the Maple Leaf Athletic Club, uh, playing 31 games there. Uh, Sherwood Park Crusaders playing three games, and then eventually, I guess, getting the call up to Tri-City. Is that correct? Yeah, that was kind of uh, my last year there in Edmonton. I was uh, playing midget hockey, and uh, I tried out for the junior tier two team the crusaders and uh, i think played a couple games before they sent me back to midget and then i, I want to say about halfway through the season tri-cities uh in the western hockey league they uh i think they had some injuries or something anyways they uh they brought me up for a weekend to play a couple games now um according to the fight card of yours that i have you had one fight that year in tri-city uh, against a guy named Ryan Phillips, who was with Tacoma. Uh, I'm not sure. Do you remember your first uh, WHL fight? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was uh, first game up there, and I thought, geez, I better try to leave an impression here <laughs> on these these guys before I uh, go back to Edmonton. So I uh, I found a guy out there. I, uh, I uh, he looked like he uh, wasn't afraid to tussle, so I just uh, went out there and. Tried to make a name for myself. Now, 
you played with some characters that first season, those three games, and I don't know, uh, I don't know how much you can really get a feel for the guys. And a few of these guys we'll talk about in your next season. Um, one of the guys you played with is someone who I've been friends with, good friends with for a long time, and that's Terry Ryan. Uh, what are your memories of playing with Terry? Jeez, yeah, I've known him a long time, actually. Yeah. Even uh, after I was done playing hockey, we uh, we played on a, kind of a men's senior yep. team for a year in the, the Allen Cup. Mm. But uh, he was, well, Noof is, is what everybody called him. He was a beauty. He uh, was always cracking jokes and high energy. And he, uh, he, he seemed like, and he could do anything he wanted out there. He, uh, he did it all. He was talented. He was tough. He, uh, he was just usually the life of the room. <laughs> I think he still is the life of the room. He's, uh, he's definitely, he has his own podcast. I don't know if you're aware of that. And he's doing a lot of different things now. So, uh, he hasn't changed at all. He has not changed at all. So, uh, he's doing really well. Uh, another guy you played with, um that was on a friend of mine's podcast they did uh i think over four hours a uh, real character named aaron bow do you remember playing with him i do i uh i didn't play with him uh long but yeah. i remember yeah he was a big tough guy and uh he was uh it seemed like he was a bit of a clown in the dressing room too <laughs> so i think uh as far as i knew people uh were definitely uh treading lightly around him they didn't want to piss him off yeah now the next season. So how how did it work? Now the Tri City had you up for three games in ninety three ninety four. Then did they did they basically own your rights? Is that why you uh, played a full season with them uh, the following season? Yeah. Uh, so the season where I only played a couple of games, I uh, I tried out with them in the beginning of the year and uh, kind of sat down with the GM. And I think it was Bob McCammon at that time. And we had a meeting, and he was just kind of asking me where I was, and he asked me if I uh, thought I could play, and I don't know why I said it. it probably wasn't the best thing to say, but I said I, I don't think so. I just, I guess, I didn't feel like I uh, could could fit in, and it was probably a best decision for me. Tri Cities had a tough year uh, that year; they didn't win a lot of games, they went through a lot of guys. And then I came back, I think, just a little more mature, tried out again the next year and cracked the squad. And uh, we had a, a really good year, so it was probably a, a better move for me. Now, you played with, uh, talking about some of the characters you played with again on this team. So Terry Ryan was back. Uh, Chad Cabana was on the team again. Sheldon Sore, Damon Lankow, and Jeremy Thompson. So toughness definitely was not an issue on this team. And you actually finished second. So your first full season in Tri-City, you finished second in penalty minutes. You had 209. Uh, Chad had uh, 252. Uh, talk about playing on a team. Uh, you have guys like Lankow and Terry who, like you say, they could do everything. Uh, you know, Lankow would fight a little bit. Terry, of course, would fight. Then you have guys like Jeremy Thompson, yourself, uh, Cabana, Sore. You guys had a pretty complete team, it seems like. Yeah, I think that was kind of back in the day just how – teams were put together you had to have that element because you had some wars and battles especially uh spokane was close to us i think we played them something like 20 some times that year with playoffs and exhibition and they had uh their guys so you didn't want to go in there and, and get pushed around so we had to hold our own and uh those guys definitely uh didn't back down 
it was uh, a little scary at times uh, being a first-year guy, but when you have those guys surrounding you, yeah, it definitely makes you uh, a little more confident. Now, if he wasn't the heavyweight champ at the time, he was definitely one of the tougher guys that uh, you fought a couple of times that year, and you had already mentioned talking about Spokane. That's a guy, Kevin Sawyer, who who uh, did very well, had a great junior career, and you ended up fighting him twice that year. Was that intimidating at all for a first-year guy? <laughs> yeah, I was scared. <laughs> that was for sure. Like, he was, yeah, he was one of the toughest, if not the toughest, and uh, I don't know why I fought him, but... Uh, <laughs> It's probably because he wanted to fight anybody out there. And, uh, yeah, I took took some lumps, saw some stars, and uh, I uh, hopefully impressed my teammates uh, standing up to a guy like that. Well, I'm sure you did. A couple other guys you fought that year, and actually it's funny, I'm, I'm a big fan of this guy, but I always associate him with um, Seattle. And uh, I actually forgot that he played for Portland, so maybe you caught him early on in his career, and that's Paul Ferrone who I think is one of the toughest guys pound for pound that ever played in the Western League and in the minors. Do you remember fighting Paul when he was with Portland? Yeah, he was crazy tough. Not a big guy for sure, but he uh, he stood in there. He checked him fast. And uh, I think uh, you just don't know what you're getting into. And you see a smaller guy and and feel like ah, you'd be okay. But uh, he, he definitely surprised a lot of people with how uh, tough he was. And there are a couple other fights that I saw from that season. A uh, guy that I'm sure everyone's familiar with. He had a long NHL career, Adam Deadmarsh, also with Portland. And you did very well in uh, against Daryl Sandback, who was playing for the Thunderbirds at the time. Do you recall those two scraps at all? Yeah, I, I don't think I knew much about Deadmarsh. I think he was maybe even back because of a lockout or something like that. He probably wasn't even supposed to be playing in junior and uh and uh, I think I, I fought him, I did okay, and I think the guys were kind of impressed, like, do you, do you know who that is? And <laughs> I, did, I didn't, and uh, yeah, I went, went all right. Now, the uh, playing for Tri-City, you were one of the American teams in that area. Uh, you had, like you had mentioned Spokane already, you had Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, Um Spokane was probably your biggest rival, but were, was there like legitimate rivalry with all the American teams? Uh, nothing like Spokane, and I think just proximity, it was close, uh, so you played them a lot. Um, the other teams weren't definitely as a, as a big uh, rivalry, um, and and I don't know, I just, it seems something about playing in that old barn in Spokane, it's just the fans, it was, it was a crazy atmosphere, and it seemed to breed a lot of, uh, a lot of fights and a lot of aggressiveness. They always played tough. Spokane always had tough teams too. So, uh, so you had to bring your A game when you went in there, especially. Yeah, definitely. So, as I said uh, before we started recording, I did reach out to some of your teammates uh, to to uh, find out if they have any good Ray Schultz stories. Uh, one of the guys I reached out to is someone we already talked about, Terry Ryan. So, this is uh, Terry Ryan. So, this is his best memory of you. So, and I quote. In the last game of the 94-95 season, I scored my 50th goal with 28 seconds left. Bob Laux <laughs> played me for most of the period so I can get my 50th. A little-known part of the story is that Sugar Ray Schultz hadn't scored yet, and Bob played the shit out of us, and wouldn't you know it, Sugar scored his first goal playing forward, he was a defenseman, in the last period of the year. I got my 50th with 28 seconds left, and I think he got his with about three minutes left. He'd know better than me. 
but that's 100%. I remember him getting his first goal in the last game of the year. Sugar is one of my most respected teammates. He'd do anything for you. When he spoke, it mattered. A real nice fella and a good-looking cat, too. Tell him I love him. So do you, you remember <laughs> that? Is that accurate? Oh, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. It was, uh, it was definitely talk of the room, how, uh, you know, trying to get uh, these guys uh, their 50th and get me one. And uh, I think uh, Lauxi just got to the third there. I, geez, I want to say we're winning fairly handily in that last game and call he said Schulte you know get out there on forward go stand in front of the net and sure enough I went out there and somebody threw it in I think I just a little tip off my stick and it went in I was so pumped I, I didn't even know what to do so I flew past the bench I gave everybody a high five I flew down to our goalie Brian Boucher he was pumped I gave him a big high five and yeah I still actually got that puck uh it's sitting on my wall to this day oh that's awesome that's great excellent well I'm good I'm glad that's the story that he told then that's excellent um all right so you get drafted by the Ottawa Senators um did you first of all did you expect to get drafted uh had you spoken to Ottawa before the draft and were any other teams uh had any other teams reached out to you yeah, actually, um, had a few interviews with teams. Uh, God, I want to say about six or seven teams. Um, it was kind of a different atmosphere. That the the draft was actually in Edmonton that year, um, and uh, gave me the opportunity to to meet some teams. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have been in the city or wherever the draft was. I was I was on the central. Uh, scouting ranking but you know I was rated somewhere in the middle of of the draft I think something like that which probably didn't mean a heck of a lot and uh, I ended up going to the draft um, and and sitting through it and and you see some guys like Rocky Thompson uh, you know he was kind of a similar player you know, definitely tougher than me, but uh, he gets drafted in the third round. So you're kind of thinking, geez, I, maybe I got a chance here to get drafted. And uh, it just went on and on. And the rink is clearing out as we get down lower and lower. And uh, finally got to the eighth round. And I wanted to say Ottawa had like uh, the first pick or two. And I heard my name and yeah, I, uh, I went down there. It was a long day, but it was, it was definitely worth it to, to go through that process, get the jersey on the floor, meet some of the guys. Um, I, looking back at some of the interviews, I did have one with Ottawa and uh, cracked a couple jokes. The guys are laughing, and uh, so maybe that had something to do with it. They took a chance on me. That's great. Now, did you did you go to training camp with Ottawa um, that, uh, that fall? Um, and if you did, any memories from that camp? They always had some pretty tough players, so I don't know if you got to skate uh, against the veterans and maybe try to make an impression. Yeah, I, uh, I went to camp that year and uh, the following year too. Um, and uh, I can't really remember. I'm sure I uh, got in a tussle or two, but uh, all I remember was the second year I went to Ottawa, I... Uh, we were doing some drills, and Alexi Yashin uh, was coming down, and he, he rang one off my foot, I Oof. think, in the first day or something, and broke my foot. So oh. 
Uh, yeah, that was the end of my time with Ottawa at that point. Ah, oh, fucking Yash. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy shot. Yeah. So how did, uh, were you traded from Tri-City to Calgary? Or how did that work out? Yeah, so it was uh, my second year junior. I played the first year for Tri-Cities. And then uh, Calgary Hitmen came into the league. So they were an expansion team, and they held an expansion draft. Okay. And I got picked up by them. And uh, I remember talking to, I think it was Lauxi or, or the GM or somebody. They, uh, they said, well, geez, you know, sorry, Schultz, we just we didn't think they were going to take you. So we, we left you unprotected. And, uh, yeah, sure enough, Calgary took me, which was, was great. You know, we weren't very good, but it gave me an opportunity to play a ton. Uh, you know, make the mistakes and, and learn from it. So it was, uh, it's probably one of the best things for me. That's what I was going to say. Just obviously the only thing I have seen from your time in Calgary may have been a few fights, but just judging by the numbers, you had a really great season. You had 66 games, you had 20 points, by far the team leader in penalty minutes with 282. Uh, second on the team was Mike Pearsall. He had 95 penalty minutes. So, uh, it seemed like you did a lot of the heavy lifting, a uh, few guys I want to ask you about, because it seems like you had guys come in maybe later in the year uh, to provide a little more toughness, but uh, they weren't there the whole year. Guys like uh, Kirk Dewell, uh, Jason Norrie, uh, and Jesse Rizanzoff. So they were none of those guys were there the whole season, I guess. Yeah, sometimes you feel like you're all alone out mm. there. Um, and we had, uh, it was kind of unusual. We had, uh, I want to say like six nine 16 year old like a ton of young young guys that just had no idea what the league was about they weren't you know big mature men like some of these other guys that came in later um and i think the the team quickly realized that we need uh, a few more horses to protect these young guys because they were getting intimidated and rolled over all over the place you um Obviously, the coach you played for obviously is um, infamous. That uh, was Graham James. So, uh, I mean, hockey-wise anyway, um, I, nothing had come out at this point, obviously, about what uh, what he had done in the past. But hockey-wise, how was he as a coach? Uh, yeah, I mean, he seemed okay. It's, yeah. uh, I don't know if he had much to work with, um, yeah. just with the – caliber players we had we were we were really young and uh you know i i think there was obviously future calgary and the hitman did get better with mm. some of these guys there was talent but it just everybody had to kind of cut their teeth and learn learn what it takes to play in that league and what it takes to win um so i don't know if he was yeah any exceptional of a coach or anything like that but yeah you look back and after i left and kind of knowing what happened uh with other players you're wondering if maybe he was kind of grooming a team to uh continue on yeah. with uh, some of the abuse he did before yeah especially when you talk about having all those young guys on the team so um you know maybe it's fortunate that things broke when they did so we couldn't uh, hurt anybody else yeah i, I as far as I knew, nothing nothing happened in, on Calgary when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was probably the wheels were in motion for, for something to potentially happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just saw some of the signs. And, and I think some of the things that 
you know, we had some of these young guys that maybe weren't mature yet, and the, the parents were just so happy that their kid was getting a chance to play that I think, you know, parents are just throwing their kids to the to the coaches and just like, here, have my kid almost type of thing. And uh, yeah. you can see um, how things like that could happen. So, I, I mean, if I could say anything to parents is just uh, be involved, have those conversations with your kids about, you know, there's there's some people out there that uh, are, are bad people. And at that time, I mean, we never talked about or even knew that mm-hmm. people do things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely something that is more out, out in the open now, out in the public. And, uh, you know, I think the, one of the good things about society now is, uh, you know, there's less of a stigma, you know, it's more of an opportunity for people who are victims of any sort of abuse to come out and they don't have to be embarrassed and they don't, they don't have to worry about, uh, blowback. So I guess, you know, the way society progresses, uh, that's a good thing. So, um, the obvious question, you played for the Calgary Hitmen, you were pink and black, uh, and one of the guys involved with the team was Brett, the hitman Hart. So uh, was Brett around the team at all? No, unfortunately he wasn't. He was uh, <laughs> kind of uh, just a face for the media, but uh, we didn't see him too much around. He came in and gave the odd high five here and there, but I think he was pretty busy with his schedule. Yeah, they have uh, they the wrestlers have a pretty sick schedule. They're they're working probably geez like it's 330 days out of the year it's it's just crazy the way they uh they do things but i figured maybe being the first year team you may have uh made a few more appearances maybe showed you a few tricks uh that you could take onto the ice there <laughs> yeah i know it would have been nice if he uh, could give us a few pointers <laughs> so <clears throat> excuse me so this year now as we mentioned you um by far the league leader um team leader in penalty minutes um and the um guys that you fought you seem like you stepped up the level of guys that you fought so there's three guys i want to ask you about uh two guys with red deer uh, that's pete vandermeer and aaron ashen yeah both guys that weren't really big but uh definitely tough tough as nails um yeah same sort of thing as yeah you're a little bit bigger than them. Yeah, yeah. Hope they go a little bit better. But no, those guys uh, definitely uh, taught me a lesson or two a couple times. Um, speaking of someone who was teaching lessons, uh, the biggest name on your fight card that year is someone who you eventually ended up playing with. But I don't think uh, it's an understatement to call his run in the Western League a reign of terror. What is it like to fight Scott Parker? <laughs> yeah he was a mountain of a man uh and i think it was just his first year in his league in the league so he wasn't uh wasn't quite maybe what he was you know in the next couple of years uh i i definitely didn't want to fight him but uh <laughs> i remember the game he uh he was trying to get me to to fight for most of the game and uh and my my coach was definitely telling me just stay away from it uh, we got got a game to win and uh and uh, i don't know if we ended up winning or losing the game but it came to the end and i thought ah i got i can't i can't walk away from this guy all game long i gotta stand in there and uh and uh be a part of it so i uh i ended up fighting him towards the end of the game there and i remember he caught me with one his fist was about as big as my head and uh <laughs> To this day, I still uh, 
blow my nose and I, uh, my eyelid puffs out a little bit because <laughs> of that butt punch. Yeah, he's done some damage to some guys that probably still have stuff to this day. So, uh, so yeah, that's definitely a fist I never want to see coming my way, that's for sure. No, definitely. Uh, and that year, like we say, we talked about the, the progress you made as a player. Uh, you won three postseason awards that year, uh, top defenseman, player of the year, and uh, scholastic player. And it seems like uh, one of the things I enjoy the most is obviously uh, the players that I interview for this show are on the physical side, physical players. But so many of you guys uh, win awards that have to do with academics and scholastic uh, scholastic type awards. Uh, how important is that to you? Yeah, it was pretty important. Uh, well, especially my mom was uh, always big on school, and she was always worried about me going away and not uh, not getting my school done. I uh, I was lucky to finish high school when I, I left Edmonton before I started playing junior. And uh, I went into college down in Tri-Cities, and then I was in uh, university in Calgary while I was playing. It uh, wasn't quite the typical path for, for most guys, but I always liked school, and I, uh, and I knew if, you know, hockey didn't work out, um, you know, I got to I gotta get to university and figure something out. I, uh, I was kind of planning on being a high school math teacher at that point anyway. The next season, there's a guy I want to ask you about because I don't know much about him other than uh, he seems like a, probably a pretty personable guy. He was uh, he played for the Laval Chiefs. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary, the Les Chiefs documentary. Uh, a guy named Brady Austin. He seemed like he could be a bit of a character, was he? Brady Austin. Uh, I played with him in Calgary, was it? Yeah, your second year. Yeah, I think I was... Uh... It was he was new first year in there and uh I don't think I was around him too much. Okay. He was a pretty thick guy, but uh I think he was just sort of uh, cutting his teeth here in the league and uh and then that's when I was ended up moving on to, to Kelowna to finish out the, the season. But uh he was he was more quiet, I think just sort of fitting in and, and learning the ropes so he uh, didn't didn't hear too much i uh, i didn't see him in uh, the documentary maybe he's uh came out of the shell a little bit more i got you and how how does it feel is it a, a sense of a source of pride uh when you're named captain of a team i know uh for, for me it seems like it was something that i would really uh, it would be a real honor. In your second year in Calgary, before you went to Kelowna, you were named team captain. Uh, how did that feel? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's a great feeling. It's uh, there's pressure on it. You feel a responsibility to to lead the guys and and show them you know the best way to do things. I didn't always uh, lead the guys in the right direction, but we had we had some fun. You fought uh again it seems like every year you go and not that any of these guys are are tougher than parker let's say but you're fighting the upper echelon heavyweights in the league one of the guys you fought this year was graham belak who uh, later on would be your teammate so you know how tough he was and he played with edmonton so it's a two-part question uh do you remember the fight with graham and then did um did calgary and edmonton did the hitmen and the ice have the same sort of hate and rivalry as the flames and the oilers had uh, yeah, I don't really remember that fight. I definitely remember playing against him. Uh, he was a tough guy. Um, 
But uh, Edmonton, it was new. They were just a new team too. So I don't think the the rivalry quite was established at that point. I think it it, it did get more heated, and to this day, I think it's pretty big rivalry uh, in junior, just like it's in the NHL. And before we leave uh, Calgary, I just want to ask you about two more guys you fought. Again, guys that people will know. Uh, Dale Purinton, who was with Lethbridge, and uh, the aforementioned Rocky Thompson, who was one of the toughest guys in the league uh, during his time with Medicine Hat. Rocky, yeah. I I remember that first fight against Rocky in the hat. And after the game, uh, coach comes in and... uh, I think we got shit kicked in the game and he's yelling at all the other guys. He's like, Oh my God, can you guys not show some emotion? And, you know, look at Schultz here. He fights the toughest guy in the league and he's the only one out there trying to get you guys going and we need everybody to step up and that type of thing. And I think it was kind of a, Oh, it was a good feeling, you know, knowing that somebody recognized that I was trying to do something against one of the, yeah, one of the toughest guys. So um, it uh, it actually, the fight didn't go too bad for me. I, uh, I was able to stand in there, so I, I didn't take too many lumps. So after a year and a half or so in Calgary, uh, you find yourself on the move to Kelowna in a nine-player trade. Um, how did that come about? And, and um how is it up there playing junior hockey? Do you hear rumors about trades? Did you hear yourself involved in any rumors? Yeah, I think we kind of knew something was going to happen with uh, Calgary. We weren't going to make the playoffs. And we had uh, a couple of decent older players that if you can get something before they move on the next year, uh, I think that's what teams try to do. And Kelowna was in a position uh, for uh, a playoff run. So I think it it made sense. I didn't know where or what was going to happen. I just knew that something probably was going to happen with me. Now you go from a team where you're the primary source of muscle, and like we had mentioned, you had a few, you had some help maybe later in the season for short periods of time. Uh, now you go to a team that always has a lot of tough guys, and now uh, we mentioned them already. You had fought Scott Scott Parker uh, the year before. Now you're on his team. And uh, this may have been the season where he really came into his own. But not only uh, do you have Parks on the team, you also have Todd Fedorik. So uh, you went to a team that maybe didn't have too much muscle to a team that was uh, definitely strong enough to compete in the Western League. Yeah, no, there was no shortage uh, of toughness. And uh, and I think that almost uh, was a bit of a detriment to the team Uh the team got a little crazy at times just thinking about that side and uh, forgot about playing hockey. Now you had um, two assistant coaches that uh, were former NHLers that uh, played a physical style. Uh, Alan Kerr, former Islander, and also Glenn Cochran. Uh, how were they as assistant coaches? For Kelowna, geez, uh, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if those guys were there at the time, were they? Uh, I don't know. According to Hockey DB, they were, but uh, I'll take your word for it over a website. I'm trying to think of uh, back then who it was. I want to say Let's maybe see. the coach was Peter Anholt or something like that. But uh, according to Hockey DB, you had uh, Peter Anholt was the head coach, and Kurt and Cochran were the assistants. But like I said, you were there. I'll take your word for it over a website. 
Uh, you know what? I would probably take the website over me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't really remember the assistant coaches, so I guess they didn't really leave a mark in my mind. Oh, okay. So, uh, just a few guys I want to ask you about that you uh, you had fights with while you were with uh, Kelowna. Uh, one guy, I guess he took a break from fighting Parker, and that's Rob Skurlak. Uh, people are familiar with him. He's a he's a huge man. He had some uh, spent some time with New Jersey, mostly uh, Albany River at, but. Uh, Again, you're fighting these monsters. Do you remember fighting Skurlak? Yeah, I don't know why I got uh, into it with him, but uh, I think it was just one of those games and everybody was into it. Uh, I think I was probably hoping that Parker and him would have uh, got into it before him and I, but uh, I think it was just uh, had to had to do my part too. Everybody else was uh, into something that game. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, but no less tough, it's a player that played in the Western League that I, I'm a huge fan of. I love him. He's a smaller guy, but he's just, uh, I mean, scrappy beyond belief, and that's Tyler Willis, who I believe you had fought the season before, and now uh, you had a rematch with him in this uh, in this season. Do you remember your fights with Tyler? Yeah, yeah, I remember that one in Kelowna. I uh, actually had a bunch of friends up from Calgary yeah, that came out to Kelowna to watch a game and uh, visit and I thought I'd better get in a tussle uh, before the game was over and yeah he uh, I think he surprised me and caught me with a few there uh, it was a little embarrassing in front of the friends well he's tough though I mean he's a smaller guy but uh, every fight you see of his on uh, on YouTube whether it's from the Western League or Pro I mean this guy just doesn't take a backward step and he just He's just tough as nails, so maybe size-wise it, it might have been a little embarrassing, but uh, you're not the only one that Willis has caught with a punch here or there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and there's another guy you fought who I don't know if Islander fans are too familiar with him. I believe he was drafted by them, but uh, he hasn't. He never played for them and never played in the minors, but he's gone on to uh, coaching. And uh, I don't know if you remember fighting Chris Knobloch, who was with Edmonton at the time. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Uh, he was a bigger guy. I don't know if he was overly aggressive. Uh, I don't know if he did a ton of fighting, but uh, I remember, I remember going in with him. Now you went. To, you mentioned you went to camp with Ottawa two seasons. Uh, obviously, the second season ended uh, like nobody wanted it to end the way it did. But they didn't sign you, so you ended up signing with the Islanders. Uh, were there other teams interested? And uh, I also thought I read somewhere where if uh, if you didn't sign with someone, you were contemplating going back to school. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, already making plans to uh, go to university. I wasn't exactly sure where I was going to go. I was looking at the University of Calgary, um, the University of Laval was uh, talking to me about coming out there and uh and then, yeah, the Islanders kind of came in with an offer. So I think um, my agent was talking to, you know, a few different teams, just seeing what kind of interest. But the the Islanders uh, stepped up and made it an offer. And I think uh, it actually sort of comes back from playing in Cologne in the playoffs there. We, uh, we uh, were losing a game, and we had a couple of guys that just, you know, were taking bad penalties, and they were sitting in the box, and... I think I was so pissed off. I skated over 
in between whistles one time and I was just chewing them out on the ice and uh, one of the Islander scouts said he was at that game and when he saw me do that he's like okay this this guy's got some character I think we should look at him a little closer well there you go see it, it pays to be that type of player and uh, Islanders uh, always manage to find guys out of the west so uh, so I'm definitely not surprised um, so you sign with the Islanders you go to uh, training camp with them your first training camp you know, uh, you'd been to two camps with Ottawa. This is uh, your first camp with a new organization. Uh, what were your impressions? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I didn't know a lot about the Islanders. Uh, I kind of grew up just after their dynasty. Um, I just kind of knew the Oilers had overtake them. And that was about as much as I knew. Um, I knew a guy uh, Jason Strudwick, um, we were actually on the same flight out to the first camp. So I was really trying to pick his mind. I was pretty nervous and didn't know what to expect. And yeah, he's obviously a great guy and he just told me to relax and do my thing and not, not try to overthink it. So I have to ask you now, because, uh, it's, uh, I ask everybody, um, what were your impressions of Mike Milbury? Now, obviously you're new to the team and, uh, a lot of stuff went down with him and the organization afterwards. And, uh, I'm not a fan. I'm, I was a fan of Milbury. I really thought he could have done a lot here. Uh, and as time went on, I really was not a fan of his, uh, but I'm always happy to hear if, uh, if guys had positive experiences with him, did you have any sort of, what was your, uh, relationship like with him? Yeah, I think it was, for the most part, uh, pretty positive. I think he understood what kind of player I was. Um, and, uh, I mean, sure, he, he chewed me out a few times, but I think that was just the way he handled things. I remember uh, one time he sat me down in his office and he said, uh, Schultze, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but but you have no skill. <laughs> kind of sitting there trying to think how am I supposed to take that and, and then he kind of got into he's like you gotta earn what it, whatever you're gonna get out there you, you gotta work hard blah 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 that kind of stuff but you know he didn't always come across the smoothest <laughs> so he's a bit rough around the edges yeah yeah I mean I, I think he knew what kind of player I was and yeah he just expected that out of me I uh I think it was maybe even the first year I got called up towards the end of the season and there was a big kind of line brawl going on with the Rangers and us. And uh, I want to say it was only up for my first couple of games of my career there. And he, he was coaching us and he, uh, he sees, uh, I want to say Tommy Salo was getting tar licked by, uh, by uh, the Rangers goalie. To, yeah. Cloutier mm-hmm. and, uh, Milbury grabs me on the bench. He's like, Schultze, come here. He grabs me by the shoulders. Get ready to go. He was going to send me over the boards into a line brawl. Like, I mean, I, I would have probably caused a bench clearing brawl or something. And I was like, holy shit, I'm two games into my career, and this is what's going on. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not surprising. That's not surprising. That's, that's more than getting the tap. That's getting grabbed yeah. and almost getting thrown over the boards. Yeah, geez, I don't even know what I would have done, but um, it would have, yeah, it would have been interesting. So after camp, you start your pro career in Kentucky, and uh, you already mentioned Strud's. Uh, he's been a guest on the show. I've known him a long time. I love him. I think he's fantastic. Um, there's two other guys you played with that uh, that 
are well known around here. Obviously, one of them is going to be a future Hall of Famer, and it's unfortunate that uh, he only spent uh, part of his career here. And that's uh, you, you were teammates with a young Zidane Ochara and also uh, Steve Webb. So, what are your impressions of those two guys? Oh, both great guys. Uh, Big Z, he uh, he was uh, what set him apart. He uh, he was probably the hardest working guy I came across uh, in my career. Yeah, he, uh, he was such a massive guy, and things don't come. The bigger you are, the 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 harder they are, and uh, you know things don't come easy. And he just he always put in that extra effort, and he uh, he really built himself up into the career he had because when when he played you know he he struggled right yeah. he had his uh his missteps but he he kept things very simple and he didn't get himself into trouble until um you know he was more established and and more confident and and it's amazing just to see what he what he came from and what he began where he started um he uh, he ended up uh just well, still playing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, still a pretty amazing career that he had. It's nice, nice to see what what he made out of himself. But he uh, he really did kind of create his own career. You know, he wasn't uh, gifted like some of these other people with tons of skill. He uh, he earned it all. Yeah. And what was it like playing with the human wrecking ball, Steve Webb? Webby, yeah, just. Uh, just a fun-loving guy, like yeah, he couldn't wipe the smile off his face. It seemed like, uh, and uh, just another guy that worked as as hard as he could. He he liked to have his fun too, but uh, on the ice, you know, you knew you were always going to get everything uh, you could get out of him. He uh, he would do anything for his teammates, and uh, he sure gave it. I I haven't talked to him in a while. I sure wonder how his body's feeling after everything he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, your first year pro uh, in Kentucky there, uh, you played 51 games. You had 179 penalty minutes. You were second on the team behind uh, Freddie Oduya. That was when uh, Kentucky was a split affiliate with the Islanders and the Sharks. So Freddie was uh, Sharks property. Uh, so you led the uh, Islander guys at penalty minutes. You also had two goals, four assists. Um your first pro fight, if my uh, records are correct, was against a, a smaller guy, but he was a bit of a, a nut out there on the ice, was uh, Corey Banica of Hershey. Do you remember that fight? Ah, barely. Yeah. 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 He, did he like the fight? Uh, he yeah. Was in, he got into a few too, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, a, he was, a, I mean, he's, for me, he was a fun guy to watch. He was on the smaller side, but he was sort of like a kamikaze out there and he didn't back down from anybody. Yeah. Jeez. I think I got to stay away from those smaller guys. <laughs> <laughs> Keep surprising you. Well, you also fought a couple of bigger guys that year and I didn't see these fights, so I don't know how they went, but. Uh, some of the more memorable names uh, that you fought there would be uh, Jean-Luc Grandpierre in Rochester, uh, Dave Roach, who was with Syracuse at the time, and Reed Lowe of Worcester. I don't know if any of those, those were probably the biggest names on your card. I don't know if any of those fights stand out. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely remember Reed Lowe. <laughs> uh, he got the, the better end of me. And uh, actually, I want to say, Right after that game was just before the uh, the trade deadline when the Islanders shipped out a whole bunch of guys and called up pretty much everybody in the organization. And uh, I got to play my first game in Vancouver, and I had this 
huge black eye from Reed Lowe. Well, that's great because that's one. It was funny. My next question was, how did you find out that you were being called up to the Islanders? A lot of times, some of these stories are pretty good. I don't know uh, how you found out. Who told you uh, about the call up? Yeah, it was uh, it was late night, so we were on the road, I think, and uh, the coach called me. Jeez, I don't know when it was, midnight, something like that, and he's like, Schultz, you're going up, hmm. and I told him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe him, and uh, he's like, no, I'm serious, and I'm like, holy shit, and I don't know what to do or what's going on, and yeah, I got the, the details there in Vancouver and had to catch a flight out that morning early. With uh, I think a couple other guys were coming too, and and yeah, it was uh, didn't give you much time to sort of prepare for for the upcoming game. So what was that? I mean, you, you I don't know. I didn't ask when you were in Ottawa if you actually played in any exhibition games, but now here you are. You're in the show. Your first NHL game. It's Vancouver. Uh, not too far. I mean, not walking distance, obviously, to Alberta. Uh, to Edmonton where you're from but it's not too far from where you grew up uh, what's that like going out for the warm-up and and just going out there for the uh, you know the anthem and everything what what is what's that whole feeling like uh, just nerves 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 you do, you know you don't sleep the whole night before uh, on the flight out there you're uh, I don't in my head it was uh, it was like geez this is such a huge honor and opportunity but then you start thinking about oh what if what if I could score a goal or <laughs> just like stuff that I mean I normally would never do anyway and like you, you start getting in a little weird in your head like trying to make this huge impression um, but uh, I think once uh, you sort of get into your first shift and you, you start to just get back to okay just simple plays don't don't do anything silly out there well and obviously my next question was about your black eye because as i was going through the footage and everything i said oh yeah there he is there's the black eye i was wondering about that but you already answered that that was from reed low so um i want to know do you remember um that game you you had talked about the islanders had just traded a bunch of guys and one of the guys who was traded was jason strudwick who was traded to vancouver and then uh gino ojic came the other way and they actually uh i guess had set up during the warm-up the two of them had spoken and then they ended up fighting in that game uh you remember the whole thing with gino and strudwick uh because like your buddies with strudwick do you remember that yeah like uh they <laughs> i think uh it was uh it was a bit of a surprise for everyone uh, when it did happen but i think yeah gino just uh walked down the hall with his bag and yeah. vice versa struts went the other way it was it was pretty awkward, I think, for everybody at the time. Um, but it definitely made for a, a fitting story when when they did drop the gloves. And uh, you didn't waste any time trying to make an impression. Uh, you fought Scott Walker, and I got tired just rewatching that fight. That was a long fight that you had with him. Uh, you remember fighting Scott? Yeah, most definitely. I, uh, I remember in the dressing room, in between periods, the guys were kind of talking about him and they seemed to be uh, a little pissed off with the way he was running around out there and I thought well what a great opportunity for me to go say something to him yeah and uh, another guy that has a has a reputation of running around is Darcy Tucker and you ended up uh, fighting him in a game I think it was at the Coliseum and I think he was uh, roughing up Kenny Onsen and that's what led to the fight is that correct 
Yeah, he was uh, definitely a rod out there. It's <laughs> funny, though, uh, you know, when he was in junior playing for Kamloops, he was he was definitely not that type of player, and yeah. you got to give him a lot of credit. He went from such a pure goal scorer to doing whatever he had to do just to stay in the NHL and became uh, a lot more well-rounded out there. Well, those Kamloops teams were uh, pretty stacked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty good teams. So, um, now you went back to Kentucky for the playoffs, and I saw you played one game and had twenty-five penalty minutes. What was that about? Oh, geez, uh, I want to say the uh, the score was like eight to one or something like that, and <laughs> we were losing. And uh, the some guy ran me late in the game. Kind of, I was just like. Didn't know why he was doing that, so I, uh, I kind of turned around and uh, broke my stick over him, and uh, and uh, yeah, went after him. So I, I think I got suspended for, I don't know, a couple of games into the next season for that. Oh, okay. Well, you earned it apparently. Yeah, no, I <laughs> definitely deserved it. <laughs> so we go into the next season. You go to camp with the Islanders. You end up. Uh, starting the year in the American League. Now you're in a different affiliate. Uh, the team uh, moved its affiliation to Lowell. Um, does that ever, I mean, I don't know how much you may have liked or disliked Kentucky, but for, as a player, does it make a difference? Obviously you want to stay on the island, but when the team has their affiliate in one city one year and then you go to another city the next year, does that make a difference to to a player? Yeah, I think you always want to sort of be established and comfortable in a place. Um, so if you can go back to the same place, it's a little easier. But when you're with a split team like we were in Kentucky, you've got uh, a coach who's kind of got to satisfy both organizations and playing time and can get a little little complicated at times like that. Uh, I want to say in Kentucky there was a stretch of games. I, I don't think I played a, a game in like 10, 10 games or something like that. And you, know, you see San Jose guys playing ahead of you that maybe you feel you could be in there and be helping out the team a bit more. But when it's all uh, one organization, it's a little more cohesive and there aren't those issues you have to deal with. And the, if I'm not mistaken, the um, coaches for Kentucky were all San Jose guys, correct? Yeah, they were. I got you. So there were um, one guy you played with in Lowell. I think this was your first uh, first time being exposed to him. Was uh, a good friend of mine, someone I love, and who I think is one of the toughest players I've ever seen. And that's Eric Cairns. What were your impressions playing with Cairnsy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a massive man. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he wasn't in Lowell too long. He just, uh, it's like he didn't belong. He was a man among boys. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, uh, I think he quickly found his way back up to the NHL. He, uh, he's, he's almost like a, a gentle giant. He, he was pretty yeah. laid back and quiet. And, uh, yeah, but when it's time for him to turn it on, he, he definitely flips the switch. Yeah, we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Uh when we get a couple of seasons down the road here for uh, playoffs, which I think you'll remember. Uh, another guy you played with was uh, Dean Malcock, who pretty much, you know, he earned his stripes with uh, Utica and Albany, but it's good to see a guy like that, similar player like, you know, to yourself, uh, and eventually gets a shot with the Islanders. I think he played a couple of games, and then he 
Uh, I guess before that, he actually played with the Bruins in Vancouver. So it's always good to see a guy like that, maybe not blessed with uh, a ton of natural skill, but works hard, like I said, similar to you, actually get a shot in the NHL after so many years in the minors. Yeah, you, you really hope for those guys to get a chance uh, along the way when you, you play with so many good guys. And Malcock was another great guy, just total team leader, you know, all around. Uh, really cared about his teammates and tried to help you along. So yeah, any success you, you see these guys have, you, you're really happy for them. Now, I didn't. Uh, I think this season at all the fights you had, I only saw one, and I, I don't remember who it was against. It was not much of anything, but you did fight some names. I'm going to throw some names out at you. If any of them stand out, uh, let me know. Uh, Nick Bootland and Hershey, you fought him twice in one game. Uh, Terry Virtue in Providence. Uh, you rematched Paul Ferone as a pro this time. Uh, and then probably, again, the two biggest names I saw were Reed Lowe again and uh, PJ Stock. Any of those fights jump out at you for any reason <laughs> uh just geez all, all i can remember is sounds like i've gotten a lot of fights here <laughs> you, you did, don't you know did what a little I, bit. Uh, when i played any hockey oh of course you played hockey come on but your style of play sometimes leads to fights yeah yeah just uh i guess uh it was more maybe more the style back then uh just trying to play hard and uh and I guess it uh, attracts a little bit of trouble sometimes. Well, and sometimes, listen, you're, we've already established you're a leader and a team guy, and sometimes I'm sure, uh, you know, you were a physical defenseman, so some of the fights are going to happen because you're bullying guys, and then some of the fights are going to happen because you're trying to change the momentum or you're coming to someone's defense. So, you know, I think people nowadays may look at it differently, but to me it's uh, the most honorable role in the game, and, uh, you know, you did it as well as anybody, and uh, I don't remember you backing down from anybody, and, uh you know, for what it's worth, in my eyes, like uh, the job you did was admirable, and uh, I was I'm happy that you were part of the organization for a while. Yeah, I think it's hard for people to understand uh, the the role it does play out there. Sometimes, like I remember playing against teams. Like what comes to mind? We we had some battles with Hartford in the in the minors, and they had a bunch of tough guys. And for whatever reason, I think there were some games where a couple of them were out and. You just, uh, you knew you could take some liberties out there. You could uh, run around a little bit more. But when they're in the lineup, you, you definitely thought twice about what you were going to do. Now, this season, you ended up playing four games for the Islanders. You had one fight. You played New Jersey, and you picked on the smallest guy on the ice, Christoph Oliwa. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you remember fighting Big Chris? Oh yeah, I definitely remember that. I, uh, I to this day, people still ask me why. Why would you do that? And I wish I wish I had a good reason, but I think it's kind of the same thing out there. I was, you know, running around trying to be a, a bit of a pain out there, and he lines up uh, one face off against me there, and he's like, "We're going." I'm like, "What?" And then he he starts talking, and you can't even understand what he says. His yeah. accent's so thick. I'm like. I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. And sure enough, the puck drops. And I'm like, oh, I guess I better try. Try not to die. <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so we move on to next season. Now, not only are you on a different minor league team, you're in a different league entirely. 
Uh, Islanders were sending guys. Uh, seemed like for a period of time they were spreading guys out all over the place. He ended up in the in the IHL in Kansas City. Uh, did you enjoy playing in the IHL? It seemed like it was a more veteran league, and you had really good numbers that year: ten points, five goals. Uh, 208 penalty minutes, which put you fourth on the team. Do you feel like you didn't have to um, maybe fight as much or, you know, with the more veteran league there? Uh, you know, I, it's, I can't really remember about uh, the fighting and stuff. I, I feel like there still was the fighting, but definitely was uh, the older guys. And I don't know if um, I just felt like I was starting to come into myself more as a player and getting a little more comfortable with the game in general um i feel like that was the year i sort of started to, to get get comfortable with what what it is i need to do out there to be successful and and i, I think maybe it had something to do with uh, a bit of an older older league there where it was uh, maybe a little more controlled out there on the ice well, you know, the fights were definitely there. I mean, I have a list of guys here. I'll just throw out some names so the so the people that are listening understand that you you still you you still did the job. Uh guys like Dougie Dowell, he was with Detroit at the time, ended up in Boston. Uh Greg Walters, uh renowned minor league tough guy, uh Barry Dreger, Nathan Parrott, saw some time in the NHL. Another little guy, Larry Shapley who was with uh, Manitoba at the time. So you still you still never picked your spots, and you still did that part of the job too. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're being modest, but, you know, I, I just want the people to understand that you're very, you're very mellow, you're very, very low-key, and, um, you know, but uh, when, the, when it was time to, to, you know, throw down, you weren't afraid of anybody. I don't know if that's accurate. I was probably <laughs> afraid of everyone, but uh, well, you did it anyway. Still did it. Yeah, you did it still anyway. did it. Uh, one of the guys you played with is uh, there's a few players that I, I've come across in uh, in hockey that obviously everybody gets older, but there's a couple of players that I always will think about as teenagers, early twenties. If they have, you know, I always say to him, he's got a goofy smile. He had a goofy smile as a kid, and no matter how old he gets, I'm always going to think of him as this goofy kid uh, when he was drafted by the Islanders, and that's Dave Chizowski, and you played with him in Kansas City. you have any memories of Chizer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he liked to have his fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he definitely he had some talent, and he had a kind of a sneaky uh, mean side to him, too. I remember he... Uh, there would be guys who would come come after him or try to hit him, and he he had a way of uh, getting his butt in or eating their chin um, without getting caught ever. So, <laughs> yeah, he knew how to defend himself, but uh, I think yeah, he just uh, enjoyed having his fun, and uh, you know, it seemed like at that point he uh, was kind of resigned to the fact that he wasn't uh, going to be going up anywhere at that point. Was he? Uh, was he? Uh... Uh, an up-and-coming chef at the time because he's big time into cooking now. I don't know if he ever had the boys over and he made you guys some nice uh, gourmet meals, but uh, some of the stuff he posts on Instagram now looks unbelievable. Jeez, no, I, uh, I had no idea about that. All I remember is him riding around on his Harleys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I, I read this somewhere. I don't know if you remember this, and I don't. I don't think it was a big deal, but it's probably something that maybe you'll laugh at if you remember. Uh, apparently, there was a day at the rink where the Islanders wanted to send you to Providence, 
uh, from Kansas City, and uh, the GM at the time was uh, Doug Sotard, and I guess uh, he was really, really pissed off, and I guess he grabbed your phone or grabbed his phone and said, no way, he wasn't sending you. Do you remember that? Uh, no, no, okay. I don't uh, really remember that. Um, I think maybe something came up, uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't remember the details behind that. Well, it's nice to be loved, though, right? He didn't want you to go anywhere. Yeah, I guess I made a good impression on him. <laughs> well, you did play nine games with the Islanders that year. Um, there's a guy that you played with, and again, only nine games. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know how much you get to know guys, but there's a guy that you played with that is uh, he's Mister St. Louis now. I know a lot of people think Brett Hall is Mister St. Louis, but this guy is. He's become like a media mogul in St. Louis. He's all over the place. Uh, I mean, one of the really funny characters in the game and that's Jamie Rivers. Do you remember playing with Rivers here on the island? I do. Yeah, he uh he was uh, always laughing and joking and uh you know, I don't think he could keep him quiet for long. Uh, <laughs> but uh I think yeah, he uh, he played a pretty hard game. He yeah. uh he wasn't the biggest guy, but he uh he was always in there mixing it up. You played. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw you a curveball at you here, and I'm gonna ask you about someone who wasn't a fighter. And it's just because I love this guy so much, and it kills me to this day that he never got a chance to really develop here with the Islanders. But you're a defenseman, so you're real close to him. How how good was Roberto Luongo? <laughs> <laughs> like from a player's yeah. point of view, I mean, obviously, I'm watching him on TV. I'm just watching it as a fan. And I'm like, this guy's insane. But from a player's point of view, you're on the ice with this guy. How, I mean, just how amazing was this guy? He was, he was great. He was a big guy. Uh, so he took up a lot of the net. I, uh, when I played with him in, in Lowell, I think he, uh, he was still trying to find himself a lot of, you know, confidence is huge for goalies. And uh, I think that's where he was, uh, was battling. I remember, just even like looking at his feet, though, I think he had size 16 feet or something crazy like that. It wow. was, it was amazing that he just took up that much room in the net. But uh, I think he, uh, you could always see the potential there. And you know what? Some guys they never get past that just being potential. But he found his way, and uh, you know he had all the skills for sure. And happy to see that he did have uh, the career he did. Now, that season, nine games, you had 30 penalty minutes, you had two fights, uh, one with Matt Barnaby, who fights everybody, and uh, Martin LaPointe. Now, the the Barnaby fight, am I correct in that that was, was that the game where Cairns ended up punching him in the hallway of the locker rooms afterwards? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez, I don't remember that. Uh, oh, okay. I can probably, yeah. Probably right, because, yeah, Barnaby wasn't afraid to be running around behind the scenes there, too. Oh, yeah, you got to look for it on YouTube if you don't uh, if you don't remember it. I think it was that game. I'm not 100% positive. Um, they had words, and then they met, if you remember, the hallway at the Coliseum, where it was just separated by a curtain, and a curtain was closed, and, and the camera actually was behind Barnaby. So you see Barnaby approach the curtain. Next thing, you just see this massive hand come through the curtain, and it's Cairns, and he just caught him right on the jaw so uh so after that they put a gate up in between the uh locker room so yeah well geez karen's uh you know he wasn't afraid to uh teach somebody a lesson no definitely not definitely not uh we go to the next season and uh you fought a guy in the preseason who was with philly at the time and i'm actually surprised he never got a chance with uh 
with Philadelphia. And I don't know if you ever ran into him in, uh, in any of the uh, minor league games that you played. Uh, nickname is Stone Cold Steve McLaren. Do you remember uh, fighting him in Trenton? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember uh, that it uh, it ended up okay because he he had such a reputation on being this killer, and uh, yeah, I don't know how we got into it, but I'm I'm glad I survived it. Uh, I, uh, I I don't know why he didn't yeah make it any further himself, but his reputation I think was well earned. Yeah, he was. Uh, we were living in Philly at the time when he actually took over for uh, Frank Bialois down in uh, in Philly with the Phantoms. And uh, even though they're different personalities, I mean, McLaren is just. I mean, he's just tough as nails. He was. He was a lot of fun to watch. So uh, I'm. I'm surprised, especially in Philly. I mean, he eventually got a chance with the Blues. Uh, I think he played one game in St. Louis uh, or a couple of games, but uh, I was I was always surprised he never got a game or so with uh, with the Flyers. But uh, you know, definitely again another example of uh, you not picking your spots, fighting a guy like Steve McLaren. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to uh, we go back to Lowell. You only spent 13 games there. Uh, I just want to ask you about two guys. Uh, one guy, and again, you only were there for a short time. One guy who eventually did play with the Islanders was Kip Brennan. And one guy who was drafted by the Islanders but never played for them was Pete Le Boutillier. Um I don't know if you remember playing with those guys. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I remember Kip. I think he was pretty young at that time. Uh, he might have just been coming in and uh, trying to figure his way out himself. Um but uh, Pete, I don't, I don't know if I played with him or I missed him on the way, uh, so I didn't uh, get a chance to to know him well. And then you ended up in Cleveland. Was that alone? Yeah, I think they they needed to find a spot for uh, for me, and I ended up there. And geez, I don't, I don't even remember who uh, whose team that was. That but, was. Uh, um... I want to say, I feel like it was San Jose. San Jose, yeah, I think it was San Jose. San Jose, yeah, yeah I think so. And I think they had some guys signed just to Cleveland too. Yeah, yeah, I, I think they just had too many guys for uh, the Islanders farm team, and unfortunately, I was one of the guys who who kind of got shifted out of there. But but uh, I mean, still. We had a decent team, had a lot of fun, a lot of good guys on that team. Now, there's one guy on the team. Now, as people are listening to this and they're listening to you, and obviously you can tell you're modest, you're you're low-key and everything. You played with a guy who uh, I've known for a long time, and he will talk about fights all day. He enjoys the role. He embraces the role. He's, I mean, just a superhuman being and a massive human being. Uh, do you remember playing with Jared Burnett? Bernie, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a pretty thick guy. He, uh, geez, I remember he would grease up his face in Vaseline yeah. and Vaseline, and then he'd be sitting You're, there. Yeah, Flexol too. And he'd put, yeah. I mean, geez, I think even sometimes he was eating the Vaseline and stuff too, just <laughs> trying to. Uh, I don't know what he was trying to do, intimidate people, but he was he was a beauty. Um. And you ended up fighting your former teammate that year, uh, Dodie Wood. It was, I think the fight was in Kansas City, your old stomping grounds. Do you remember fighting Dodie? I don't. Huh? I don't. He was a super tough guy, too. So I don't know why I would have done that. 
you keep saying this stuff, but you know, it's just, uh, it's part of your game, man. I mean, and again, it's, to me, it's just a selfless part. You know, it's, uh, it's the most honorable part. It's a selfless part. And I don't want to give people the wrong idea here. I mean, if anyone had has seen you play over your career, you did fight. It was just one part of your game. And I think it, a lot of times the fights that you had, again, were residual parts because you were a physical player. You were a physical defenseman. But I think anyone that watched you play knows that you could play the game too. I mean, you don't play as many NHL games as you played and you don't play pro for as long as you played just on fighting ability alone. I mean, you could play the game too. So I want to give you credit for that. I know, you know, the, the, the gist of this podcast, obviously we focus on the physical play and the fights, but obviously I, I hope you understand. I know that you could play the game too. No, oh, I, 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 uh, I'm pretty proud of, yeah, lasting as long as I did. Yeah. You see a lot of guys in and out after a couple of years. So I, uh, I must've done something right to stick around for almost 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And now the, uh, you spent a little time with the Islanders that year. Um, aside from having Cairns as a teammate again and Big Z, uh, you played with the legend, uh, at least in my eyes, and I know the eyes of a lot of people, and that's Chief Craig Berube. What was it like playing with Chief? <laughs> He's a Stanley Chief. Cup winner now, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he's just, yeah, just like when you hear about hockey guys, just a, a classic guy. He likes to have fun, good guy all around, tough as nails, and... Uh, you know, he uh, he kind of came from the old guard too. He was he was pretty old school, and he liked to do things a certain way, and uh, and it worked for him. Uh, as the game came changed a little bit over the years, you know, it, it sort of pushed out guys like like him and myself, and guys that couldn't quite uh, keep up to the new standards. Now. Obviously, we have to talk about who you fought. You had four fights, and again, you picked on little guys who nobody's ever heard of. Uh, Rob Ray, uh, Gino Ojic, Rick Tockett, and your old teammate, Todd Fedorik. So uh, any of those fights stand out for any reason? Maybe you, you had played with Gino on the island, and you played with Todd and Junior. So uh, is that weird fighting guys that you played with? <laughs> not really i think everybody understands you know you're out there you're you're doing like your thing i remember after the fight was over with uh gino we we're sitting in the box and he his teeth are out and he's like sorry Schulte, i just i had to do it you know and <laughs> yeah i'm like hey no, no problem and uh geez i remember uh talking there in philly yeah yeah, I think he was just getting sick of me uh, doing what I was doing out there, and he, he finally grabbed me, and uh, he, uh, he definitely had the old man strength. He was crazy strong, and uh, that's when I found out he was a lefty, too. That was that was interesting. I was wondering about that because he seemed really pissed throughout the fight and then afterwards, like he didn't want to let you up. He didn't want to, he didn't want to let up. I was going to ask you what uh, what happened that you pissed him off. Yeah, I just, I feel like my stick kind of accidentally got caught in him a few times, and uh, and they just had enough of that. Accidentally, right? Yes, always. <laughs> so, we move on to next year, and now finally we get to, uh, you know, for the fans who are listening that maybe are newer fans, uh, this was the first year the Islanders had their affiliation in Bridgeport, and uh, that's something that has really worked out well for the Islanders, uh, uh, you know, uh, having their prospects down in Bridgeport. 
And uh, we've already spoken about Graham Bielak. You played with, I mean, you played with, uh, God, I don't know. I mean, I think Twin Towers is often overused a lot when you play with two guys like this, but you got to see firsthand just the destruction of having a Graham Bielak and an Eric Goddard on the team. What was it like watching those two guys just take the league apart? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes you feel a lot better about yourself. Uh, You got those guys out there. Uh, Yeah. I remember uh, Godzi, he, uh, he was a very quiet guy, but it was amazing uh, what he could do. I uh, remember just sitting beside him, and, and you'd look at his leg and then my leg beside him, and his legs were twice the size of mine. And <laughs> he'd give you a little tap on the shoulder, and it'd be like, ow, oh, like he, he doesn't realize his own strength out there, I think. And uh, I think, yeah, he was just uh, crazy strong, and he, he had this innate ability uh, to, to do really well. So he, he definitely made a name for himself. Another guy you played with that I, uh, obviously he, listen, he's earned his reputation over the years. I, I was always a fan of the guy's first round pick of the Islanders. Uh, I always, I don't know if he ever got a legit shot, uh, extended period of time with the Islanders to really show everything he could do. But uh, a guy that I was always a fan of was Rafi Torres, and you saw him at the early stages of his career. What were your impressions of Rafi? Yeah, he uh, he was yeah he was like a square. He uh, he was so thick, and he uh, he was kind of compact, like a little you know like a Steve Webb kind of wrecking ball. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he just he would go through people like he wouldn't hit people. He would he would just go right, right through. It was crazy. He was so fast and that combination. And uh, he had that awesome no looker when you try to hit him. He would just kind of step into you. And yeah, uh, I think to this day he's probably the most well known for the uh, the old no looker. Yeah. Now having guys like Belak and Goddard on the team takes a little bit of the pressure off you in terms of the physical side. So is that why this year it seemed like you focused more on your assists? I mean, 15 assists in one season, that's pretty impressive. I think you were uh, third amongst defensemen on the team with your 15 helpers. Yeah, like uh, by that time I was, yeah, 24-ish around there, 25-ish. And uh, and I think my game, yeah, really, really uh, started peaking at that point. I, uh, I played a lot more. I had a lot more responsibilities, and uh, you know, you're not maybe sitting in the box as much because you're being uh, utilized a lot more. Uh, so I think um, at that point, I, uh, I really figured out what to do out there to, to get my other side of the game going. Now, I guess your first experience would have been in training camp, and then uh, you played two games that year with the team and then the playoffs. But what were your impressions of Peter LaViolette? The guy is very successful, very smart guy, still coaching to this day. Uh, what were your impressions of Lavi? Uh, well, I mean, that year I got up into the playoffs, and, uh, you know, everything seemed, seemed pretty good. He... Uh, you know, he, as long as everything was going well, um, he seemed fine. But when things weren't, he, uh, he wasn't afraid to do some yelling and let you know. Uh, unfortunately, him and I had a little run in the next year. Uh, when he was coaching, I, uh, I wasn't uh, playing too much when I was up with the Islanders there. And I was just trying to play hard in practice. And uh, I ended up... 
hitting uh, one of the guys, my teammates, in practice, and he, he fell into the boards and separated his shoulder. Um, and I think Laviolette thought maybe I did it on purpose. Oh. And I, uh, I might have cursed at the coach and uh, telling him that there's no way I'd do that. Yeah. And uh, I got sent down the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't know, Laviolette, he seemed to uh, he seemed to coach almost out of fear. Like he tried to get the guys to to fear him or have the guys scared to do anything wrong. And yeah. I feel like it works for a little bit, you know, a year or two. You can intimidate people into doing what you want, and then you start to you lose them after a little bit. So. I don't know if that's how come, you know, he comes in and he, he cleans things up and then he doesn't have that longevity, perhaps, yeah. maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, one fight that year, uh, you fought uh, PJ Stock again. This time you fought him in Boston. And uh, PJ Stock, when he dropped the gloves in Boston, everybody stood up and everyone went bananas. So maybe he wasn't the biggest guy, but he's like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, what's it? What is it like fighting a guy who you're bigger you you're bigger than but you know he doesn't have an off switch and you know he doesn't run out of energy is is that a different kind of intimidating and not that pj's intimidating but if you fight a guy like scott parker you just don't want him to put his fist through your head then you fight a guy like pj stock and you know that you're going to run out of gas before he does <laughs> yeah yeah he never did stop uh yeah you you, you want to hopefully uh, get the upper hand early and uh and you know you're going to come on strong later on and uh at that point you're so tired you're just hoping to hoping to hold on and uh maybe leave it at that now this season is uh of course for i, I want i almost said in recent memories because yeah as you know once you have kids the years just fly by but this this playoff season, this was the playoff series against Toronto, which is still uh, parts of that series are spoken spoken about here on the island with reverence because even though they didn't beat the Leafs, there were some really memorable moments in this series. So I know you played in two games. You played in Game Six and Game Seven. Were you were you with the team f uh, for the beginning of the series? Were you here the whole time with the team? No, I was uh, down in Bridgeport, and uh, I think we might have been in playoffs ourselves then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, from what I heard was the Leafs were maybe uh, taking a little advantage, um, and uh, some of the defensemen weren't uh, really able to handle the aggressive play. And I think that's one of the reasons I got called up to to try to step in there and uh, provide a, a little more toughness back there. Now, everybody knows Jim Cummins. Jim is a good friend of mine. Uh, Jim's played for a lot of teams. Jim told me that uh, playing at the Coliseum, that game six, when stuff happened like Karen's fight and the Bates penalty shot, it was one of the loudest arenas he has ever been in. Uh, do you remember that, you know, that whole game, game six? You got, uh, like I said, you got Sean Bates scoring on the penalty shot. You got the fight with Karen Z and Shane Corson. You remember that? I mean, I'm just talking about it now and I'm getting goosebumps. Oh, 100%. I, uh, that's one of the fondest memories. Uh, I remember sitting on the bench and I think we scored two quick ones in the third or something and it was just going off in there it was so loud and i don't know who was sitting beside me and uh i looked over i'm like are you kidding me like this is insane being a part of this and you can't you can't really uh 
give it justice to uh, describe that feeling and being a part of that. Like, just whether you're in the stands or sitting on the bench or on the ice, I think everybody felt it. Now, um, then you you play, and like I said, you know, and this is what I'm talking about. Now, if you're only playing hockey because you could fight you're not getting called up to play in the playoffs against toronto you're not playing in game six you're definitely not playing in game seven but you're fortunate enough to play in both of those games so uh, again i just want to point out and just so everybody knows you were right you were in the playoffs there you ended up playing 19 playoff games for bridgeport as well so uh so you were part of that but yeah i mean i just Going back, and I just remember, obviously, the Bates penalty shot, but just remembering Cairns after he fights course and skating off the ice, putting up the number one. And, uh, I mean, that is just unbelievable. Like I said, I can't even imagine what it was like to sit on the bench, which you obviously just described, but I just can't get enough of that. You know, I just, uh, the whole thing. And then going into game seven, so now you guys go back up to Toronto, you have a chance to win this thing. Uh, How much pressure did you feel? Uh, you know, I don't think I really felt the pressure. Um, it was it was an exciting time, and uh, it was just great to be a part of. I uh, I remember um, it even came down late in the third period there, and they they cut cut the bench down, and uh, they were only playing four defensemen. Um, I think we were down by one, and. I was one of those four, and uh, I was out there in, in opportunities trying to get a tying goal, and it was is one of yeah one of the fondest memories of my career was playing in those two games against the Leafs, and uh, the other one was playing against Gretzky. Yeah, those are two pretty good memories. <laughs> yeah. Was it when did you play against Gretzky? Was he was he a Ranger? You with the Islanders? Yeah, yeah, he was a he was a Ranger, and uh, I actually accidentally speared him too and almost caused the line to line brawl out there. I felt so bad. I didn't mean to, but yeah, he, uh, he actually even said in the interview the next day that he didn't think I uh, meant to do it. I believe you that you accidentally speared Wayne Gretzky. I'm not sure I believe the talk at one though. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so we go to the next season, 0203 and you actually made the team out of camp. Did you, I mean, did you, was it, uh, you had a strong camp? Do you remember that training camp? Did everything just go right for you? Yeah. Well, uh, after, after the season before, uh, with playoffs in Bridgeport, we, we had a long run into the finals and, uh, I had a good, I had a good end of the year. And I think with the way I had played in those last two games with the Islanders in playoffs, um, they ended up sign. I was up for a new contract, and they ended up signing me to a one-way contract, nice. which is kind of the holy grail if you yeah. can get a one-way contract. So um, that generally means you're going to get a pretty good shot to to make it. And uh, I think they sort of had me penciled in as a uh, number seven guy, six seven guy on the depth chart. So uh, yeah, I uh, I ended up making it. Um, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't uh, <laughs> didn't stick around. Yeah, they had uh, their six playing for, geez, uh, the first ten or so games there. I, I think I only got into one game, and they ended up uh, sending me down. Um, and uh, that's kind of where I had my run in with uh, Laviolette in the beginning of the year too, which didn't help me out too much. No, and actually, that one game was opening night in Buffalo. 
Uh, if you remember that game, uh, if Islander fans remember, I'll just rattle off some names. We had uh, Aaron Asham fought Eric Bolton. Uh, Steve Webb fought Rob Ray. Uh, Eric Cairns fought Eric Bolton. Jason Weimer fought Eric, Eric Bolton. And Bolton's been on the show, and we talked about it. He fought Asham in the first, Cairns in the second, and Weimer in the third. <laughs> and uh, Ray Schultz fought Rob Ray again in that game. So that was the, that was a pretty exciting opening night. You remember that game? Yeah, yeah, I do. And it was a bit of a shit show with all those fights. I don't think we wanted uh, that's probably why there's all the fights. But yeah, you just talk about all those and you almost wish you were a, a fan in the stands to watch it go down. Yeah, it was well, it was fun to watch on TV. I'll, I'll tell you that much, you know, and uh, it was fun talking about it with Bolts because, like I said, you pick three of the toughest guys on the team, you fight one a period. And I mean, uh, uh, what else can you say about that guy? Yeah, I can't do any more than that. Exactly. So again, we come to another situation where you're pissing off someone on the Flyers. Uh, there was a game at the Coliseum, and again, it's the biggest guy in the team, Donald Brashear. Uh, you tried to get at him. Uh, maybe he pissed you off. You tried to get at him, but you guys were separated. Do you remember what was going on there? Jeez, I don't, and I'm glad we got separated <laughs> because that wouldn't have been a good choice for me. But again, look at that, not not taking a back, uh, backward step to anyone. Uh, your final fight with the Islanders was against Jody Shelley in Columbus. Do you remember that one? Oof, yeah, I <laughs> took one on the chin there, I remember. <laughs> yeah, Milbury uh, had me in, uh, in the office after that. He's like, Schultz, you know, you don't got to fight these guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I just, it was, it was trying to get some momentum going, but it didn't work out that well. Yeah. Uh, and you did spend 51 games at Bridgeport that year. Um, tough team again, Goddard and Belak, but you also had some help on the back end. Uh, it seemed like every other defenseman on the team was was a physical player. You had yourself. Uh, you had Ali Nazardine, who I'm a big fan of, and uh, a young Jody Robinson uh, back there. So yeah. you had some pretty physical defensemen back there. What was uh, what was that dynamic like? Is it, again, does that take a little bit of the uh, of the not the job, but you know, you're not the only guy back there crushing guys when you have guys like Naz and Jody back there. Yeah, I think it, it helps out a lot. Uh, I think you, you start to feel like you can rely on anybody out there and, uh, and you can think about uh, just playing your game too. You don't need to think about doing everything out there, which, uh, which was pretty nice. Um, I think by that age, I was starting to get to the point where I wasn't, fighting as much anymore too and uh it's nice to have people help out in that department and well you always seem to be in the middle of it against hartford though <laughs> yeah well they they had i don't know they had a team and uh there was no love loss between the two teams and and uh i, I don't think he necessarily always wanted to be a part of it but it just seemed like it always happened with them well, I did reach out to Jody Robinson. He was a guest on the show also, and I asked him about playing with you, and uh, he said he wanted to thank you. Uh, he said, uh, as far as you and Richard Scott went, he goes, I don't think Richard Scott really liked him too much. Uh, he goes, I was Schultz's D partner. I ended up fighting Scott because he kept chirping Ray, and I think that fight got me my AHL contract, so I owe Ray for that big time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad to have helped. <laughs> uh out of all the fights that I saw that year, probably the best one was uh, against a guy named Jared Smithson of Manchester. Do you remember fighting him? You did very well in that one. 
I do. And, uh, you know, he, uh, we actually knew each other from way back in, uh, the Calgary Hitman day, days. He was, uh, one of the 16 year olds. He was oh, wow. just this tall, tall, skinny little guy. And, uh, it's crazy to think he, uh, he came that far and he, yeah, he ended up being a pretty big guy. <laughs> <laughs> now in the playoffs, you played Binghamton and I read somewhere, but I couldn't find any details. Um, did you almost fight Dennis Bonvi in the warmups of game one? Oh, uh, geez. <laughs> you had some battles with those guys, yeah. but uh, I don't know. Maybe it was more show than, uh, <laughs> than actual reality. Uh, I'm sure nobody really wanted to yeah. do that because yeah. he knew the consequences. Yeah, and especially, again, here you are you know, going at it with uh, another guy who – fights everybody he's a ahl penalty minute holder a record holder i think fought everybody and their dog so again you're you're not going after the shrinking violets <laughs> no geez I, I i probably didn't do myself any favors i think we were playing Binghamton once and uh uh, they had a goalie ray emery I think, oh yeah played yep. for them and yep. uh you know he he wasn't afraid to mix it up out there as a goalie, and uh, he loved it. I mean, he was he was working the gate. He was uh, um, just on the bench that game, and uh, I remember he was just chirping and chirping. And finally, I ended up skating. I was going to change myself, but I as I passed the bench, I just clocked him one in the bench and oh. I skated by. <laughs> so I don't think I made myself any uh, friends on that team. Oh my goodness, that's great stuff. That's old school stuff. You're not going to see that anymore. No, no, you don't see that too much. So after your time with the Islanders in Bridgeport, you ended up signing with Nashville. That was in July of 2003. At that point, did you think a change was probably the best thing for you to move on from the Islanders? Uh, were they interested in bringing you back? No, I no. think uh, that thing with Laviolette there and yeah. the season just didn't end up well. There was... They weren't uh, interested in having me back. So, uh, yeah, Nashville uh, came to the table, and I was happy to go there. Now, you're obviously at this point, you're you're uh, a few years into your pro career. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not as young, say, as when you were going to camp with Ottawa or your first few camps with the Islanders, but you are going to camp with a new team. So do you feel, was there any discussion between you and, and the coaches, Barry Trotz, anything about what they expected from you? Did you feel like you had to go in and play physical, maybe get into a fight to get noticed? No, I don't think there was any conversations. Uh, you know, they they don't say too much. They really just bring you in and you know what you need to do to uh, – to get noticed and I play your game and uh, do do whatever you do best out there. Um, so I, I I think in camp was it was a pretty quick camp and uh, I think I got sent down right away. They they sort of had their established team and their players and there really wasn't room for uh, anybody new coming in. It seemed like. Well, before you got sent down, you did find yourself in at least one exhibition game. I, I, uh, I don't know how many you played. I know you played against Chicago. And why I know that is because, once again, you found yourself fighting another pretty tough guy in Ryan Vandenbush. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, crazy tough, too. But mm. not another, not, not the biggest guy, but yeah. really tough. <laughs> yeah, I think that was just another thing, like trying to do to do something anything out there to try to stand apart from the crowd 
So I don't have too much footage from your season in Milwaukee, but uh, am I correct that you were team captain? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, captain of that team. Uh, I was probably uh, one of the best years of hockey. Um, we had uh, a great mix of older players, younger players, um, and uh, just it all came together. We, uh, we were pretty fortunate uh, to have such a good team, and we were able to take it right into the playoffs and win the uh, the whole thing. Yeah, you played with a few guys. Uh, you played with that uh, Evenon. So he's a small guy, right? And uh, Jay Henderson, who I think is, I think Jay Henderson's pretty underrated. When when I think about the times I saw him play with Providence, and uh, just thinking about his career, I, I think the guy could pretty much do everything. I think he's kind of underrated. And you played with another guy who has Islander ties, was drafted by the Islanders, and he's sort of underrated, scrappy, and that's Robert Schnabel. Oh, yeah, yeah, geez. He was a big guy, uh, yeah. too. Um, and I think he uh, he always, because he was a European guy, and he always sort of, it seemed like he wrestled between, was he, you know, more skilled in the European sense, or he's this big guy, should he be playing more aggressive? Mm-hmm. And I, I think there was always that dilemma he he seemed to battle between what what was his identity out there and playing with a, a guy like Ivanins and you know schnabel i believe was a defenseman if i'm not mistaken um yeah. and you're a veteran at this point you still had a few fights that year but i think this year you were really given the opportunity to just kind of play and if something happened take care of it or if you had to spark the team take care of it i mean this is probably the year that everything really just everything fit right for you in terms of your career, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think I was playing my best that year. Um, I had a lot of responsibility. Um, and, you know, I uh, I didn't get I, – I only got called up to Nashville once, and I didn't get in any games. Uh, I think if, uh, if I was, say, with the Islanders and I was playing the way I was doing – and there's opportunities I would have I would have stuck around, but you know some teams have a lot of injuries and a lot of openings come up. Uh, unfortunately, Nashville was pretty steady that year. They didn't really have any any issues, so I didn't get a get a chance to go and do anything up top. But uh, in the minors, there it just uh, it, you know it didn't matter. It all came together in the minors, and when you can win a, a championship wherever you are, yeah, it's sticks out as one of the best moments in your life well before we get to the calder cup i naturally have to ask you about two guys uh again guys with uh very very strong reputations in the physical department one guy with sound tigers uh experience and one guy with the islanders and that's uh mike segroy and uh, zen and kanopka and i believe they were both with utah at the time yeah yeah both tough guys (laughs) i uh Geez, I feel like I played with half these guys. I yeah. ended up playing with the Scroy there too, but yeah, um, yeah, I think uh, same sort of thing. Uh, they just one of those games where uh, you get out there and uh, somebody's looking to stir it up, and I think maybe my reputation out there was a little bit worse than I actually was. And <laughs> guys tended to uh, to come look to me if they wanted to get into something. I think as fans, we, I think a lot of times we just see the games and we don't, a lot of times, unless you know a player or you know someone involved in the organization, you don't really fully grasp the grind. 
and you, this season you guys went on to win the Calder Cup. It's a long season to begin with, and you end up playing over 20 playoff games. I mean, what what kind of a grind is it? Uh, and, and I guess when you get to the playoffs, you're obviously, you won the Calder Cup, so you're obviously having success. Does the winning sort of take away a little bit from the grind? Like, in other words, you're, you're having success, so you don't think about it as much. But in a championship season, what is the grind like? Yeah, you're right. Like, if, if you're winning, you're having a good time. Everything's better. Everything's more fun. If you're losing, it's 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 tough sometimes to get to the ring. It's tough to, you're not having the fun. It's like, you know, you, you just, you don't enjoy yourself as much. Uh, so I feel like, I mean, if I, I tell people this, to, to this day like you're out there to play and have fun and if you if you're not doing those two if you can go somewhere um where you can do that you know money doesn't matter at that point that type of thing like when i was with the islanders on my one-way contract and i wasn't playing i remember talking to people back home i'm like i would gladly go down to the minors and play with my friends and where we're having fun and, and having a good time versus being up here and making a bit more money, but not feeling like you're part of anything. Right. I reached out to a former teammate of yours on this team, Jay Henderson, and I asked him <laughs> if he had any Schultz memories. He said, uh, Schultz was a great teammate. So many great memories. I recall him showering full equipment, skates and all in the post game championship shower. Is that true? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I uh, decided to have my shower with all my gear on, and uh, it got all packed up. I remember unpacking it uh, later that summer. My skates were all rusty, and like, it was just gross. I was soaked in beer and champagne, and uh, I don't know. It seemed like it made sense at the time. <laughs> did you at least have the Calder Cup with you? Uh, I did, yeah. I was going to say, because at least if you have the cup with you, it kind of makes sense. If you just go in the shower in your gear, then it just is weird. Yeah, those those next few days after uh, winning didn't really make sense at all. But, <laughs> but it's got to be, I mean, listen, for, for someone like yourself, you, you know, you play those years in the Western League, you play in the American League, you play in the IHL. You play some games in the NHL. You're at you're a veteran at this point in your career, and you're the captain. So when when the Calder Cup is given to the team, it's given to you. What is that like? Oh, it, it brings it all together. Like uh, you just you really appreciate uh, that it, what everybody did that year to bring it all together. Like it, it, I mean, it's everybody from the coaching staff right down to every player out there. Like. You just you know how hard you guys worked and the effort you put in to to put something together like that and and that's just justification of, of why you guys did it all um, and uh, I, I think holding that cup it's like I remember asking uh, my D partner there and like he he was on a championship before I'm like I, I don't even know what to do He's like, just just hold it up don't drop it. <laughs> Now, after that year, you win the Calder Cup. Uh, just just signed one year with Nashville that you ended up signing with Jersey at the end of the season? Yeah, I uh, I think it was, yeah, kind of coming to the point where I didn't know if I was going to get any more looks in the NHL. And uh, Jersey came and offered a, a two-year deal with some uh, 
you know, decent money in the minors, and I, I thought I was kind of getting the point if, if I can just kind of play in the minors, make some decent money, um, you know, maybe I'll be okay with that. Uh, so that was kind of what I was thinking going into it. Now, you played with some some tough players. Again, we talked about Rob Skurlak already. It's probably nicer to have him on your bench than fighting him. Uh, Brett Cloutier, and uh, a guy who's done very well for himself, uh, also in St. Louis, like Jamie Rivers. He's uh, one half of a very successful podcast, and that's Cam Jansen, one of, I think one of the great characters of the game. What was it like playing with him? Oh, yeah. He's a... Uh... Yeah, he's kind of like a Steve Webb clone, uh, just tough as nails, uh, fast, run over guys. Um, but yeah, he a uh, fun-loving guy. He uh, he didn't stop talking, um, but he would do anything. Yeah, he was like your ideal teammate, um, do anything for you out there. And uh, it was uh, it was a pleasure to have him on the team. He always kept the guys laughing. Well, I did reach out to Cam, asked him if he had any uh, memories of playing with you. He said he loved you. You were his captain. He loved you. He said, ask him about the uh, after the rookie party when you skated the next day. He said, uh, Robbie Fatorik was our coach. And yeah, I guess he said he couldn't stand up. I don't know if he meant Robbie or you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, we had a few late nights. And uh, <laughs> geez, I think... Uh... I even uh, skated right into the net and almost knocked myself out <laughs> that, that day. <laughs> so it wasn't just for the rookies. The the vets could take advantage of the rookie party too. Well, I think the vets uh, took more advantage than the rookies. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good excuse for everyone to get out and have some fun. Now, you had a great season with Milwaukee the year before, but uh, statistically this your first year with Albany may have been uh, may have been your best year. You had seventy seven games, and and one thing I want to say about you, even though you played a physical style, you played a lot of games. You didn't seem to miss many games with injuries. I think that's maybe that's uh, a bit of luck, or maybe it's a testament to fitness or whatever. But you didn't miss a lot of games. You're playing, uh, especially this season, seventy seven games. You had nineteen points, uh, two hundred twenty seven penalty minutes, which were second on the team. Um, Again, was this was this just uh, maybe a carryover from the season before, where you you found your game, you knew what you were not. I don't want to say you knew what you were doing out there, but you had confidence. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I feel like I, I had another good year. I was I was playing pretty well, and uh, I don't uh, I don't remember if that was a lockout year. Yeah, or it was. What. Yep, it was. Yeah, so I I kind of felt like I. Uh, you know, if there was hockey and, and the jersey did need somebody, I would have had a pretty good shot. I was playing pretty good hockey to come up and, and make an impact. Uh, so it was kind of unfortunate. It was a, a lockout year. But, uh, still had a pretty good year myself there. Yeah. And again, again, just for everybody, let's talk about some of the guys you fought. This is old man Ray Schultz, the veteran. And now he's fighting young guys, young monsters like Mike Brown, who is with Norfolk, Brian McGratton with Binghamton and Colt Knorr in Providence. So did did it ever click to you that maybe you don't want to fight these young lions? Maybe you want to go after some of the older guys? Did it click that I didn't want to all the time? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, these are three especially... pretty big boys here. Yeah, well, at that age, right, uh, you're starting to feel like uh, you don't want to do it as much anymore. But I, I want to say in uh, Albany – our team wasn't uh, wasn't the strongest. We we did 
lose a little bit. And I think the more you lose, uh, the more you have to fight and try to do something out there different. Uh, one guy you fought uh, who has Islander ties, he played a few games with the Islanders. He was with uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton at the time, was uh, Drew Fatta. Do you remember the fight with Drew? No, I don't. Uh, okay. I don't remember that one. Okay, I'll I'll find out. He, I actually just uh, chatted with him on Twitter the other day, so uh, he said he'd come on the show. I'll have to ask him if he remembers the fight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next year, so you said you signed two years with Jersey. Next year, um, did you go to camp with Jersey? Uh, were you able to build off that strong season that you had in Albany? Yeah, went to camp, and uh, and uh, I can't remember how uh camp ended up but uh, i know i was in albany so it couldn't have went that well <laughs> uh one guy that we that, that i brought up already that you fought and then you said you played with him in albany and he's i mean talk about a personality again i, I think one of my favorite things about hockey maybe not so much anymore because i think when you eliminate toughness from the game and you eliminate character players is that you eliminate characters and uh Segroy, mike Segroy, who you fought while you were with Milwaukee is now your teammate. That guy is an unbelievable character. Do you have any good memories of playing with him? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. He, uh, he wasn't afraid to, uh, push the boundaries on and off the ice. And, uh, most, most of our memories are off the ice. And, uh, (laughs) maybe not, uh, suited for, uh, I understand. I understand. (laughs) But he's just, I mean, that guy is super tough too. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's, tra- and he's, he's done really well for himself. He's training uh, young hockey players down in Florida now. I think he's always on social media showing videos. Uh, he's really giving back to, to kids now as far as uh, helping them out and pursue their dreams. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's amazing uh, to see. I think people forget how these guys were all kind of young, young men and, yeah. uh, you know they they live a pretty crazy life, and uh, at some point it it ends, and and people grow up and get into the real world, and they uh, they're much different than maybe they're playing personas. Now you were traded that year uh, from Jersey to Phoenix, and um, I don't know if you ever uh, if you got called up to any games in Phoenix. You were ended up in San Antonio. Um, did you have did you get called up at all to the Coyotes? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I uh, it was kind of a, it was a shitty year. I think Albany was it was. I think I played on three of the worst teams in the league that year. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I got bounced around, and it was it was. Uh, I think uh, Pascal Riom and I got treated down there. Yeah, we went down there, and uh, so you 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 know pack up all your stuff. You get your vehicle down there, you get set up with a new apartment and everything. And then I want to say six weeks later, I ended up getting shipped out back to uh, Springfield. And uh, it's like, okay, this is enough of this. I don't know if I want to do this much more. Now, did did Phoenix have guys in San Antonio and and, uh, Springfield? Or were you loaned to Springfield just to, I don't know, maybe uh, get some more playing time? Yeah, it was... uh, I don't know if it was a trade or a loan or something, but it was essentially like a trade. But uh, I think it was uh, Tampa or something in uh, in Springfield at that time. And, uh, yeah, went back there. And, uh, I mean, every team was struggling, just, I think, trying to do anything different, bring in new guys, move out guys. And, 
yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to uh, rate the ship on those teams. Well, Springfield was the team you played the most games with that year, and you played with a guy who ended up playing some games with the Islanders. Uh, thankfully, you didn't have to fight him, and that's Mitch Fritz. What was it like uh, playing with Mitch, the Hurricane? <laughs> yeah, big, big man. Uh, but, yeah, just, uh, you know, kind of quieter guy, yeah. laid back. Yeah. Yeah, I think he just knew what he had to do out there. He had to do his things, being so big and all that. But uh, yeah, he wasn't uh, wasn't a crazy character or anything like that. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned, uh, this was a tough year. You know, playing on three teams, and again, just like we talked about with Milwaukee, when you're winning, it's it's a great feeling. And if you're you're losing, it's a drag. And especially if you're losing with three different teams and you're you're moving around and everything. Um, so is that what led to your decision to retire? Well, I think that was part of it. And then uh, I don't think anybody was too interested anyway. I uh, I didn't uh, look too hard to to find a, another job in uh, North America. Like after the lockout. Um, I think things shifted a lot, uh, a lot after because people, you know, were going over to Europe and guys were getting, you know, weaned out of systems and, and that type of thing. So uh, it was kind of a tough year to be trying to get a contract, and uh, nothing really came out for me. I, I, I poked around in Europe to see maybe if there's anything interesting there, but there's a lot of competition for a lot of jobs out there, yeah. which uh, you know is probably for the best anyway. I didn't really want to go bouncing around for a couple more years uh, for no real reason. It was uh, kind of time to pack it in and uh figure out what the next phase of life is going to be like so you went into the next phase of life but you did manage to uh in 2007-8 you managed to run into your old friend terry ryan i don't know if uh if he's the the route or if he's the channel that you took to play uh in the chinook hockey league senior hockey for the bentley generals uh was it terry is that how you ended up on that team Jeez, how did I get there? I uh, I think the coach reached out to me, um, seeing if I wanted to come, and uh, I think Newf was yeah on the team already, so it, it kind of made sense that um, I wasn't doing much else, and uh, you still sort of have that that burning desire to get out there and play a little bit, have some fun. Um, so it uh, it seemed like a, a natural fit. Uh, it was. Um, about an hour and a half drive for me from Edmonton, so I had to had to head out there for practices and games, uh, make that drive. Um, but uh, I wanted to still kind of do a little something, and I was convinced it was fun. We uh, we had a good time. Uh, we went to the finals in that in that. Uh, it's called the Allen Cup, mm-hmm. and uh, across Canada. And it was uh, it was a good experience. Uh, I never really knew much about what that that league was all about, and there's actually a lot of a lot of good players that either just finished up or uh, or a little older still playing. So it was fun just to ease into that. I think people uh, people down here in the states, anyway. I think when they hear senior hockey, you picture like seventy year old guys you know, playing and, and putzing around out there. But uh, the reality is, like you said, there's a lot of guys that play senior hockey, former NHLers, former pros. Uh, it's a pretty decent caliber of hockey being played in the senior leagues. 
Yeah, like uh, I want to say we were playing against uh, Whitby or something in the finals, and uh, on their team, yeah, they had um, probably most players were all well-known from either NHL or AHL. Um, they were there at some point, so the hockey is, is pretty good, definitely. Now, according to the stats that I saw, you played uh, 07, 08, you played some games with Bentley, you went to the final, and then uh, 08, 09, you played uh, a few more games with Bentley, and then that's it. Was that uh, was that the end of the road for Ray Schultz, or am I missing something as far as uh, you playing anywhere else? Yeah, I, I tried a little bit. Uh, there was another team a little closer to Edmonton in that senior league. I knew some guys, and went out there to play for them a little bit, but the, the body was telling me no. The back uh, kept going out on me, and uh, it just wasn't worth it anymore. Uh, I didn't need to kill myself or even, uh, you know, out there some of the guys uh, were playing a little chippy, and I definitely didn't want to be doing any fighting uh, in that league for for not getting paid or, you know, it was just to be having fun, so there's no reason to be fighting. Yeah. Now you've, um, you've, when we were talking before we started recording, you're working a job. Now you've been there, uh, 10 years or so. Um, how was the adjustment, uh, when you retired? I know a lot of guys, um, have a hard time with retiring and going into, uh, you know, quote unquote, regular life away from the game. Uh, how was that adjustment for you? Was it okay? Uh, yeah, it was okay. It was tough though. Cause you, you get into it and you don't really know what, what you want to do like I wasn't old but I felt old like I was around 30 years old and uh and you're like geez do I want to go to university as a 30 year old to try to get into something and it just it didn't seem like uh that's something I wanted to do um in in hindsight I probably should have or could have done it it wouldn't, wouldn't have been too hard to go to university and come out in your early 30s but uh, in my mind, it just it didn't seem to make sense. So I uh, I just bounced around a little bit. Um, and then, uh, fortunately, uh, some contacts through hockey, um, they reached out to me and asked uh, if I could open an office down in Calgary for uh, a company called Liquid Rubber. And uh, I was, yeah, I was all on board. I, I still had a lot of contacts in calgary from my playing days my brother was down there and uh, i decided to do that and 10 10 years later i'm still doing it well that's great i mean that's uh that's great i mean listen you had a you had a great career and now your post career seems like uh you know your second career seems like it's going well i'm really happy for you and uh the final question that i always ask everybody is uh did I miss anything? Uh, you know, I, I kind of pride myself on my research and, uh, I try to go, go a little deeper than a lot of people do. And, uh, uh, obviously from your time here, we know each other a little bit, but, uh, did I miss anything about your uh, hockey career that, uh, that you want to uh, speak about? Jeez, I, I'm, I'm impressed. And you know, a lot more than I do. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, no, I think you covered it well. I'm, uh, I'm definitely, uh, happy that you you did do your research uh and you can bring back those those memories uh i think um like i said before uh some of the best moments in my my hockey career were uh playing in that 
playoffs for against the Leafs and playing against Gretzky and then winning the cup in the minors. Uh, I, uh, I'm pretty proud of those moments. Um, but, uh, no, I appreciate you, you reaching out to me and, uh, I'm happy to uh, just share some of those experience and give a little, uh, gleam into what it was like, uh, in my life growing up and going through hockey. It's, uh, it's, I think, uh, a little bit uh, tough for, for people really to, to see what it is like for these young guys, young adults growing up. Well, Ray, you know, we, we spoke a lot over the years while you were with the Islanders and, and then the minors and everything always managed to make time for me. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate your friendship. And, uh, you know, just uh, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. And, uh, you know, I know as an Islander fan, I always enjoyed watching you play, whether it was in the minors or with the Islanders. I, I never felt cheated. Uh, I always felt like you gave everything you had on every shift. And uh, like I said, it was just an absolute joy watching you play. And I'm happy that you were an Islander. And uh, I, I just wish you nothing but the best. Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure to uh, to be a part of this. And uh, good luck along the way. Thanks, Ray. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye now. See ya. Thanks again to Ray Schultz for sitting down and chatting with me. I was very happy to catch up with Ray. Like I said, I hadn't spoken to him in over 15 years, and it was good to uh, good to catch up and hear that he's doing very well. And uh, it was it was just great to uh, to talk about the good old days of Ray's career. So uh, once again, thanks to Ray Schultz. Next week will be a solo episode. I don't exactly know what I'm going to bring to you yet, but of course, uh, I hope that it's something that you people will enjoy. Now, after that, um, I don't want to jinx it, so I won't go into it too much, but I do have two confirmed guests lined up uh, that if uh, everything comes to fruition, I can promise you at least one of them will be at least a two-parter. But this guy is amazing in podcasts, and I feel with uh, the research that I do and his loquacious uh, behavior in at in um, in attitudes in interviews that it could potentially be something that may not approach Vakoda status in terms of minutes recorded, but could be uh, it could be a long one, it could be a good one. That's what she said. Um, but yeah, the the two guys that I have uh, reached. An agreement with, no, two guys that said they would come on, uh, they're absolute killers. And uh, if they come to fruition, then uh, I guarantee you're going to love those episodes. And as I always say, not because of me, because of those guys. But uh, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to let any cats out of any bags. But hopefully uh, they come to pass and uh, it'll be great for me to chat with them and for you people to listen. So until then, until next Monday, everybody have a great week and stay safe. Mm-hmm.